Horror in the House of Salons, here to save the day. Vamps and zombies, ghosts and werewolves, make them go away. Let's talk about your favorite movies, have some laughs and fun. On another horror holiday. This season even demons get some time off to play. It's another horror holiday for me and you. But don't forget to follow suit. Ho, 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 horror fans, and welcome to the first Christmas special from Horror in the House of Salmons. Holidays in the House of Salmons. I am Jamie, and with me as always is Brian. Hello. How are you doing tonight, Brian? I am doing A-OK. It's a beautiful day. I'm feeling the Christmas spirit. I can't wait to rip into some Christmas presents. Life's doing pretty good. You can never wait to rip into some Christmas presents. Well, we talked yeah. about that on the last episode. That is true. But um, we still managed to have some under under the tree and intact. Yes. So we should be okay. Um, and for the record, I'm always like, hey, baby, you want to open one? She's like, yeah. That is not true. And then I make fun of her. I'm like, geez, you're easy. And, oh, yeah, I, just, I, I know time, you wanted to open no, it. No, you, no, you, no it's one not. One time, it was one time, and I said, well, okay, if you want to. And then Bullshit. He's like, he's like, oh, right, and I'm... And I said I only agreed to that because I wanted to make you happy. Bullshit. She is fiending to rip open these presents. Well, of course I am. It's I usually got to beat her back with a stick when she goes for it. Oh, bull. Uh, You guys out there, you know us. She's like a child. You tell us which one you believe. Of course me. I'm the honest one. Right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's see. Well, this is our Christmas special, so we're going to be talking about... A couple of Christmas movies, and I think we kind of nailed the hidden part here. Oh yeah, yeah. I think uh, I was we came really up pleased with with, uh, with what we decided to talk about. Mm-hmm. And they're both relatively new as well. Yeah, and one of my initial choices was going to be Scent uh, by Dick Moss because mm. I love that film. I love Dick Moss, and it's one of my favorite Christmas horror movies. But it's not it's not really that hidden anymore. I think people kind of talk about it pretty regularly. So I wanted to go a little bit outside the box. But I will be mentioning that movie a little bit anyway when we get into the Bumps in the Night discussion. Well, that's why I was having some difficulty coming up with something good. I mean, there's a lot of good Christmas horror movies. But I think Christmas horror has become kind of like its own thing now. Oh, it definitely has. And so a lot of the Christmas horror movies... They're pretty well known. Yeah. Since we have, as a community, embraced horror on the whole, and I mean as a a horror community, you know, we have, it's just like at Thanksgiving now, most, or I won't say most, I don't know, but a lot of horror fans, and us included, watch Blood Rage. Mm, It's a thing. You know, at Valentine's Day, you watch My Bloody Valentine. On my birthday, and I've done this for years, I watch Happy Birthday to Me and Bloody Birthday. You did it before it was cool. You're such a hipster. On April Fool's Day, we watch April Fool's Day. You're such a hipster. I didn't say that. You did. (laughs) But you implied it heavily. We, of course, (laughs) horror fans do the 31 Days of Halloween you know, and, and how that they choose started. to do it. If that, shut up. <laughs> how they choose to do it is 
varies by <laughs> what is wrong with you? Are you have you been into the eggnog? Is that what the problem is? Maybe. <laughs> so anyway, holidays in horror are a big. Well, we have even anthologies, you know, mm-hmm. um, that. that Celebrate various holidays. So, yeah, I think Christmas horror is a big deal. Yeah, the one I was leaning to before I picked the one I ended up doing was, uh, oh, what the hell? A Christmas Horror Story, I think it's called. It's the anthology. It has William Shatner. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of well known now. It's just, it might not be as, as well known as some of the others. And plus, I just think it's a lot of fun. It's one of the modern anthologies that I do really like. Yeah, and just like with anything else, when you have something that is popular, you're going to get some good examples, like the Michael Doherty Krampus, but you're going to get a lot of knockoffs. Yeah, Christ. Like the 150 There are so many Krampus, Krampus movies out there. And most of them are not good. Yeah. So... It's, you know, the quality is kind of all over the place. So I was pleased that we were able to find two movies that are both, I think, very hidden. Yes. Or at least not talked about. Neither of these films have I ever heard anyone talk about or mention that I can recall. And they're both good. And I was really pleased about that. So I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Me too. Uh, As for... Uh, correspondence. Uh, I will uh, give a quick mention to David Michigan Garrett Jr., who commented on our last episode that he was excited to be getting into the Bondathon because I guess he started with the more recent Bonds and then has been climbing his way back and like trying to fill in the gaps. So he was really excited about that. Mm, good. And then we got a message from Scott who was saying that he was listening to the show and he's a huge Bond fan. You know, he's read all the books, and his first movie was The Spy Who Loved Me. Nice. When he was 10. So, and he's always been floored by it, and I guess he was so floored by the opening skydiving sequence of Moonraker that when he turned 18, he started skydiving. Yeah, that's awesome. That is incredible. But that makes me happy, too, because this is a horror podcast, and even though people are aware that when we're doing the collection bit... That it's all of our movies. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, we cover every everything in the collection, own, whether it's horror or not. Thus, and that's people, what makes it colossal. Yeah, and people know that. I just, it always makes me nervous. Yeah, because that is two episodes of the first one was two hours. Yeah, worth of discussion about movies that are not at all horror related. So I didn't want to alienate anyone, well, but I'm I, glad to hear that people are enjoying it. I put a poll up on the Facebook group just wondering how many people listen to it, and like pretty much everybody has, or at least everybody that replied. And it was one of those things where I wasn't shaming them, or I was just legit curious, because yeah, I mean, hell, we started off as the ABCs of Hidden Horror, and all your background in podcasting is horror-related, 95% of my writing and editing work is horror-related, mm-hmm. so it's definitely our wheelhouse. And if you do look at our collection, the vast majority of the movies we have are horror movies. Yeah, but by a we, long shot. But we don't just have horror movies. 
No, we like other stuff too. We have a lot of action, a few comedy, some drama, maybe like one musical. (laughs) No, we have more than that. I'm sure we do. But, you know, we do have different tastes, so... I was just wondering if this was a whole lot of maybe too much Bond in one setting. And in fact, it was because we had to do it in two pieces. So Mm -hmm. that's a lot of Bond. But hopefully people won't be too upset by that. I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping you enjoy it anyway, whether you're a Bond fan or not. Maybe the the discussion is interesting. I don't know. Um, If you don't, if you decide to skip it altogether, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that and I totally understand it. So, I was, though, pleased to hear that at least a couple people were enjoying it. So, that's good. And, you know, some people said stuff like, you know, I don't much like the Bond movies, but I'll listen to anything as long as you two are discussing it. And I like that. Yeah. So, you know, good on them. That's really sweet. Thanks, guys. I I definitely appreciate the support. I I do love our page because we never have negativity on our group page. And... Eventually, what I would like to do is come back and just populate our group page. Like, just be, yeah. just spend my time there and ignore everything else. And I think that it would be fine. It's right one of those now, things where not there yet. I always post about what we're watching or what we have watched. And I've had people ask me, like, I'll post my opinion of it. And somebody will come back, I really didn't like this movie because blah, 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 blah. And then I'll like their comment. And it'll be, why'd you like my comment? I said, I hate this movie. And I'm like, I don't care if you like it or hate it. Just you shared your opinion and you did it in a good, respectful, hell, classy way. The people I get pissed at and the ones I do just boot out of my little, you know, corner of cyberspace are the people when you post something and they come up, I hate this movie. It sucked. Well, thanks for sharing your opinion, jackass. I like it when people can say their opinion and, you know, state it clearly and succinctly, but not be an asshole about it. I only get upset over the assholes. Over, you know, anybody who likes this movie is a moron. Fuck you. That that speaks more about your stupidity than anyone else's. Well, usually their grammar will speak well, more yeah. about their stupidity. <laughs> their grammar and their spelling. Yes. And that just makes me tee-hee. Yeah, of Every course. time I see someone being a dick and they can't spell. <laughs> and it just cracks me up. Or is, there, is there anything else that we've seen recently that you wanted to bring up? Not really. I mean, I guess, did we go into the fact that we've been watching the Dexter we reboot? did briefly after the first episode, no. but um, we're now we, I think four or five episodes five in. Five episodes in, I think, and, and I'm still enjoying it. I love it. It is so. I swear, it's like no time has passed at all. And apparently, I was wrong. I surmised uh, during the first episode um, that he was in Oregon or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And then I said, well, there was that Montana poster in the in the one house, like maybe, but. Uh, it is now definitive that they are in upstate New York. Which I never would have guessed. It feels like... Uh, like the Northwest. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, all we, all we see is snow and trees. But yeah, they are in upstate New York, which makes some of the things make even more sense. Because Manhattan comes up quite a bit. Yeah. But I am thoroughly enjoying it yeah i'm i'm loving the turns that it's making i uh i'm completely invested and dexter is a character that i've always loved and was really excited to see come back but whenever there's a gap like that 
you know, you're gonna be a little, maybe not apprehensive, that might be a strong word, but you're gonna be like, you're a wait and see kind of thing. And with Dexter, I have been nothing but pleased. We also finished the first season of Chucky. Oh, yeah. And, and that was another series that I thought was really good. Yeah, I liked it. It was fun. It was very vicious and mean-spirited. and uh, But that's in, good. In all the best ways. Yeah. And I loved it. I did remark in the early on in the series that I felt like Chucky was a little nicer than he's been. Yeah. But then it, it was more manipulative. But yeah, it's supposed to... Know? I mean, you're going to have to do stuff like that if you want to do a series. Because, what was it, eight episodes? So that's like, or six, I whatever. But let's say eight. That means it's eight hours long, or thereabouts. So that's a lot of time to fill. Yeah. But it was very bloody. Yeah. I really like where that went. It was enjoyable. I Main really like... character lo- notwithstanding, I, he has the same face. Well, yeah. Emotion, I right? thought he started off stronger than how he ended. I agree. I like when they first introduced him, like, all right, this kid's all right. But... As the series went on, he just kind of got lost. I think the mean little bitchy girl really came into her own. I really like her, how she ended, as opposed to how she started. The only problem I have with that is that I think her character arc was rushed. Yeah. I feel like it was she turned on a dime. She did. Although I did really love her by the time we got to the end of the series. I, I She was probably my favorite character. Of, yeah, she was of mine. The the good people. And I do feel like it was a little quick, but um, I guess they just wanted to get into the the good parts with her. Well, yeah, it's not a show about her, so. Yeah. Uh, But overall, yeah, I really really enjoy that. The thing I really liked about it is because uh, Don Mancini has had the rights and been doing the writing and all that stuff for all the movies, except the remake, and for this series... There was a lot of callbacks and a lot of interconnective tissue mm-hmm. between the various movies and the series, and just it really nailed the history part of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I've said it before. There are so few franchises where you have one person. Yeah, I can't think of another. Tar- well, Scream with Wes Craven. He didn't write them, but. You know, for at least the first four screams. True. I was going to say that's not the case now, but, you know, yeah, I guess. So, but it's rare. It's very rare. And Mancini has more with the Child's Play franchise than exists with the Scream franchise. So, I think, honestly, it's um, maybe something like the Puppet Master series. Well, even though they're all done by Full Moon, but they're all different directors and writers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. It might be an outlier. Might be one of the only ones that... Yeah. And I like that, though. It has allowed him to use his own vision. Well, just he can very much steer the character where he wants to go. And then he can mention all... I mean, because a lot of times these franchises that have been going on for years and decades and stuff... They often forget about what's happened before. Not so in the case of this one. I mean, he remembers everything, or at least mm-hmm. it seems that and way. And he ties things yeah. back, which is nice, you know. Oh, that's another... Th- I just thought of something. We watched Roseblood, uh. Uh, a Friday the 13th fan film. And this was an interesting ride. Because for the first 
hour. The solid first hour of that film. The movie's only an hour and a half. And for the first hour, there's no Jason at all. Well, and it's completely avoid... Like, you don't even have... You could skip past the first hour and it doesn't even matter. And the idea is that it focuses on Tina's character from part seven... And she's been in this facility since uh, since the events of Part 7 happened uh, under military care and guidance. And they've been, you know, pushing her to use her powers and, and make them stronger. It's an independent fan film, so I'm, I really try not to judge it too harshly. But the acting is pretty goddamn abysmal. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Even I thought uh, Tina's acting, which is done by Lar Park Lincoln... I mean, she was Tina in the first movie, or the seventh movie, whatever. But, I mean, so they got her back again. I didn't think she was really any good here. She wasn't in it that much, and Terry Kaiser made a brief appearance. Very brief. Um, Unfortunately, I think he had the best acting that there was, so it's kind of sad that he was only in it for a couple of minutes. But uh, Lar Park Lincoln isn't in it a ton, but I kind of feel like... I don't know if maybe she just doesn't act well these days. Yeah, you know, maybe she hasn't done it in a while. maybe she just doesn't care that much. Yeah. I don't know. But either way, you don't spend a lot of time with her. It's mostly in the past. And <laughs> the girl who plays current or, you know, past Tina, not good. And then, you know, the whole, the Rose blood thing is where they have this other girl come in who has named powers named Rose. And then, you know, but seriously, that once you know that, once you know that, you know, what they're doing, they're trying to, uh, as the military does, they're trying to make weaponize them everything, some yeah. kind of weapon. Like, once you know that part, you don't need, you seriously don't need to watch the first hour. Oh, they got That's, Creighton Duke back. Oh, that was a big joy. Oh, and he was a huge part in this yes. film. It was basically the origin of Creighton Duke, because who the fuck asked for that? Not me. So if you want to see the origin of Creighton Duke, I guess, you know, watch the, the movie whole thing, was so, you really don't have to. So boring and so, I mean, honestly, piss poor that several times I was just inches away from turning it off. But I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, because once you hit that one hour mark and Jason pops Once up, Jason shows up, it actually, shit. it's fun. It's really fun. I had such a good time with the last half hour of this movie. And there are some surprises in there that I won't spoil because if but you haven't seen But they're off the wall. But like, you're like, what the fuck? But <laughs> you're, it, but it's amazing. It's, it's, it's totally different movie. Like seriously, once you get first the, Part, uh, past the fuck. Once you get past the first hour, it's like watching something completely different. And I'll say that last half hour is legit good. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's done very well. Uh, the special effects were really well done, especially the, for something low budget. Yeah, exactly. And they had some nasty kills. The kills were a lot of fun. I mean, just the whole last half hour was very enjoyable. If they just could have done something with the first hour that preceded it. That's the big Achilles heel. Well, and then like what I said to you when we watched is how many people do you think tapped yeah. out before they got to the good parts? And I can't blame them because it, it was pretty damn painful, and to be honest. I think that's really sad because if you hang in there, it's totally worth your time and the payoff is there. But you seriously have to hang in there Fast forward the first hour. Fast forward through the first hour. Yeah. But it's kind of like one cut of the dead. 
Oh, okay. You know, I've known several people who are like, oh, I started watching that, but then I just, you know, I didn't care. So I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't give up. You know, get, just trust me. Trust me on this. Don't give up on the film. Just keep going. And that's kind of the same way I feel about Roseblood is that once you get to the good parts, it's really fucking good. You just have to get there. Agreed. Okay. Was there anything else? No, I guess that's it. Okay. Well, then we're going to dip out real quick and then we will come back with my movie. The Bride of the ABCs of Hidden Horror. Welcome back. The first movie we're going to be talking about on holidays in the House of Salmons is Mercy Christmas from 2017. Now, the unfortunate thing is the only place I could find to watch this movie was on Vudu, but if you have Vudu, it's free with ads. So you can watch it for free, but just on Vudu. And I couldn't find it anywhere else. No. So hopefully people out there will have a way to watch it. It is written and uh, it is directed by Ryan Nelson and it's written by Ryan and Beth Levy Nelson. And stars Casey O'Keefe as Cindy, Cole Gleason as Andy, David Ruprecht, which as the the father of the family, and that was a shock to me because I only know him as the host of Supermarket Sweep, the game show. <laughs> so that was I spent the entire movie going, why do I? Because I recognized his voice and I recognized his face, but he looks much older than he did in the '90s when he was doing that show. And I was like, why do I know that guy? And then um, finally, it was him. Gwen Van Dam as Granny, Whitney Nielsen as Catherine, and our lead is played by Stephen Hubble, and his name is Michael Brisket. I hate that. <laughs> I think it's a little too on the nose. Yeah. Well, the synopsis is when Michael Brisket meets the perfect woman, his ideal Christmas dream comes true when she invites him to her family's holiday celebration. Then his dreams are shattered. Michael Brisket is a guy who works for a large company and Andrew Robillard is the boss. And he basically gives him this huge stack of stuff to work on and have it done by Christmas, which is only a couple days away. Meanwhile, he has invited everyone to come to his apartment, Michael has, for a Christmas party where he was going to do secret Santas and, and eggnog and caroling and whatever. The sad thing is no one showed up until Cindy showed up. And she was the only guest he had, and she was very sweet. They ended up having a very good time. And she's hot. And she is. She's. She actually, um, shit, I still can't remember her name, but the woman from The Hunt and Glow, and I cannot believe I don't remember her name, but I love her. But anyway, she reminds me a lot of her. And she's very sweet to him, and 
as she's leaving, she invites him to come to her family dinner tomorrow because he doesn't have anyone to spend Christmas with. And he's always wanted a big Christmas, but it's just him and his mom. And every year his mom goes on a cruise for Christmas. So he doesn't even get Christmas with his mother. And so she was sweet and felt sorry for him and invited him to come to her family dinner. The woman you're trying to think of is Betty Gilpin. Yes. Thank you. So he goes to Christmas dinner and things are not exactly what he thought they would be. I don't want to spoil it because I do recommend that people watch this if you can find it. But it turns into something dark. But it's also very comedic. And so it's kind of like a horror comedy. It's very much a horror comedy. It, I fact, I like most horror comedies, it leans far more into the comedic elements than the horrific ones. I mean, it does. And the horror that it has is inherent in the story. Yes. Uh, because of the type of story it is, the horror is just there. But yeah, they do lean pretty hard into the comedy. I, however, found it to be a really fun satire on Christmas and how we view Christmas and its importance and, and whether where some people do and some people don't. And some people love their big family Christmases and some people want to be left the hell alone. There was one line that a, a side character just kind of threw out there in the film where she's like, Christmas is dead. And, you know, I really don't find that completely off base. I don't, I wouldn't say it's dead, but it's not what it once was. Um, we just went to the mall the other day and I love going to the mall at Christmas time because usually it's just dripping with lights and garland and big trees everywhere and and it just feel you can feel the or hear the piped in Christmas music and you can just feel it and it really wasn't like that they had no. Santa's village Santa was there I tried to get Brian to take a picture he wouldn't nope. do it <laughs> which really disappointed me I, I think maybe it's because Brian knows he's been a bad boy and Santa would call him out on it but <laughs> that, that is my secret but, fear and the stores did have Christmas music playing but it just wasn't the same. It just didn't feel the same. And as I go around with my daily life, I just don't feel Christmas anymore. I was thinking about this a lot this year. Maybe it's because we don't watch a, a lot of TV, like regular TV. So we don't see all the holiday themed commercials. Usually at Christmas time, I will turn on the Christmas music only station in my car or at work. I haven't done that. So that's, I mean, so most of what I'm feeling is probably rooted in myself that I haven't made an effort to make it as Christmassy as I normally would. I just don't feel, I mean, I look around at our house and I see our tree and I see our outside decorations and our gifts and stuff. And I, and there's that, but it's just the overarching feeling of the Christmas season. I just haven't felt it. Okay, Scrooge. I mean, I'm lamenting that. I'm not rejoicing in it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so what did you think of Mercy Christmas? I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as you. First off is the guy's name, Michael Brisket. I just thought that was way too much. And it tells you everything you need to know about the movie just from that. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I also had a problem with the family. I guess spoilers, so skip ahead if you haven't seen this movie yet and you're worried about these things. But the idea is, 
They invite this guy over so they can eat him. He's supposed to be the Christmas dinner. Yes, they're cannibals. It's just, I really didn't get that from them. I get the idea that they're white, middle-class suburbanites, so they're like the least cannibal things you could think of. They're always nice, and they're happy, and, you know, they're, they're good with each other. They're always, you know, I love you, and blah, blah, blah. They go to church. Yeah, they go to church. Everything is perfect. It's Opwee people. Yeah, they're living in a neighborhood in Southern California. Yeah. So it's not like they're out like Texas Chainsaw Massacre style. They're they have houses directly next door. And they have this thing where the father is like, you know, this has been a family tradition for generations. I never got that. I never felt it. And it almost just seemed like okay, this is the idea. This family's cannibals, so we say it once. We're cannibals! And that's it. That's all you need. And, I don't know, it just it began to rub me the wrong way after a while. There's some movies out there like, uh... Hell, not even like Texas Chainsaw or anything. You know, Hills Have Eyes. Those are the crazy, crazy, nutty... You mean like Mom and Dad or... Well, I was thinking of, uh... What was it called? Yeah, we Are What We Are? Oh, yeah. That's a movie where it seems real, and they're cannibals. And they even have two, you know, the the two daughters. They're nice, and they're sweet. They're, you know, good girls. They just happen to be cannibals, too. They're not happy about it, but that's their family. That's their tradition, and they seem believable. Here, it was just, there was always this disconnect. Well, I think it was crossing over into the absurd on purpose. Well, yeah, I get that. And that's because this is, like I said, first and foremost, a comedy. But just, I don't know, bugged me after a while. Well, and there was also a not-so-subtle message that, you know, the corporate world will eat you up and spit you out. Um, Because it happens to be his boss's family that he goes to this party, and then they're all like, well, your dinner... And then he's making them work and just, I don't know. I get the idea behind it. I kind of like the idea behind it. I just don't think the execution was all that great. And there was some good things in here. I like the final, final act where uh, Brisket and his buddy are trying to escape. (laughs) That had me laugh out loud so many times. (laughs) And I won't say more than that because I think that is the best part of this movie, but just everything up until that seemed very perfunctory. It just seemed like, okay, you know, this is a wacky comedy about cannibals at Christmas, and so it's like they had a checklist and they checked the boxes. I don't know. They didn't seem to do much more than just check the boxes. For me. I can see that, and I, and I think it's valid. It, ha- it didn't bother me, however. I think I tend to be for myself, I'm a little more lenient when it comes to, you know, low-budget indie films. And I just kind of give them a pass on a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't. But, oh, I will say there is a mid-credit clip that if you do watch the film, don't turn it off yet. Just because, you know, if you want to see everything. God knows we can't do anything without end-credit or mid-credit clips. It did have a couple of awards. It won. It was the winner of the best act, 
Best Actor in a Feature Film at PDX Stream, the Portland Underground Film Festival. Well, hell, that's something. And it was an official selection at Brussels International Festival of Fantasy Film in 2018. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. I just think it could have been much better if the tone was a bit different. But, you know, that could just be personal preference, I guess. Yeah, this one review on IMDb says, The final 16 minutes is worth the price of admission. Yeah. Should be a bloody cult classic. And I could see that happening. I have not, like I said in the beginning, I have not heard anyone mention this. I've nope. never seen a review of it. I have never seen anyone talk about it online. If they have, I missed it. And sorry that I missed it. But I didn't know anything about it going in. I was just trying to find something that we could talk about that wasn't all that well-known. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to go outside the box a little bit. Well, in that regard... Give it a shot. In that regard, I think it fits the bill. It is worth seeing. So, if you listeners haven't seen it, uh, track it down. Uh, like Jamie was saying, it is on Voodoo, and it's for free if you want to watch it with ads. Sadly, I don't know anywhere else it's playing, but... You can watch it that way. You might be able to get a disc online. If probably, you want, you yeah. Know? And, may, you know, there are probably other ways to see it online. Yeah, but those are illegal and they make me feel bad. <laughs> they make baby Jesus cry. Anyway, so that's Mercy Christmas. Uh, fairly recent from 2017. So if you have seen it, let us know. Let us know what you thought. If you haven't seen it and you do track it down, let us know what you think about it then. Uh, I do recommend it quite a bit. Okay, moving on to Brian's movie. What do you have for us? Okay, this is a movie I had never heard of before, or so I thought. It wasn't until after I was watching this and thinking about it some, I remember I actually heard about this movie in a podcast. Uh, Mick Garris does a podcast where he interviews various people about horror stuff, and uh, he talked to the director of this movie, Nacho Vigliando, Probably butchered that, but, uh... That's my Vigliando. That is Nacho Vigliando. <laughs> and, uh, he's a filmmaker from Spain who's done a bunch of... I think it's Vigliando, but... He's done a bunch of, uh, genre work. He most recently, until this, probably did Colossal. That's the movie where it's got Anne Hathaway, and for some reason she is connected to a giant kaiju monster... That's going on a rampage in Korea, I think it is. And I've always heard good things about that movie. Uh, sadly, I've never seen it, but I've always wanted to, so I need to fix that. More importantly to me is he is director of Time Crimes, and I love that movie. Uh, I love time travel movies, and that movie does some good stuff with it. Mm-hmm. So when I heard he, you know, he was director of this one, I was like, okay, I'll give it a watch. And I'm glad I did. It's a weird movie. It seems like it would be a horror comedy, but it's really not. There are some comedic elements in here, but they're more like black comedy or... There's no jokes No, in this. I mean, it's just uh, humor here and there. And but... there's no setups, you know? Like I said, it's... There are some parts that will have you chuckle or even laugh, but it's not like that is the focus of this film. Uh, as for the film, it's about a young, struggling actor living in L.A., and like many actors, he can't get much work, but eventually he finally gets a job as wearing 
the costume and being a mascot for a new toy that's coming out. It's basically like a teddy bear slash rabbit looking thing with huge giant headlight eyes that change color depending on his mood. It's either blue for good or nice or red for naughty. And this little critter is called Puka. And that's he's also the name of the film. That's also the name of the film. And this guy is walking around in his full body suit looking like Puka. And essentially he just starts losing himself to it. It's hard to point where the man, the guy, ends and Puka begins. It's also told in a very non-linear way, much like time crimes, where it's not necessarily about time travel or anything like that, but sometimes the events you're seeing are not the events taking place at this time. Mm -hmm. It's hard to explain, but just watch the movie. And it does this a few times, and it does it well, I think. Like, you'll see Puka acting up. You'll see the actor put on a Puka costume, and then he'll, you know, do something, and he'll mess stuff up and whatever. And then he'll walk out the scene, and then the camera will pan, and you'll see the actor sitting in the same room, like, off to the side. Obviously, that didn't happen the way you thought it happened. It was either imagined, or it happened in the past, or it happened in... or it will happen in the future. It's interesting. And that kind of stuff keeps this thing fresh. It's not really horrific horror, like vast supernatural, demonic, you know, bloodbath kind of thing, but it is scary watching this guy lose himself. It's not like Puka comes out and possesses him. You never really get a sense of Puka as a character. It's just a vessel. It's just a thing that allows him to tell his story, which is told, again, non-linear, so it's it actually begins where it ends, and you get hints throughout of the ultimate ending. There is a bit of a twist, a bit of a reveal at the end, but if you're paying attention, you can see certain elements of that all throughout. And I will just say, there's one character in particular who shows up repeatedly as different actual characters, but it's the same guy, and the way he interacts with either the actor or Puka, you know, makes sense at the end. Mm. I would say in that respect, think of something like how they use characters in The Wizard of Oz. Okay, yeah. You know, you'd have characters pop up in her dream that are very different people in real life. It surprised me, honestly. I was expecting it to be something like Benny Loves You. Yes. Or, you know, that's leaning I, into comedy. That's what I. That's what I meant. This very much looks... And hell, with the name Puka sounds, and just the poster, it looks like it would be kind of a wacky horror comedy thing, you know? But it's really not. No, it's actually a very dark, twisted, psychological horror yes. that allows you to go on this journey to madness with his character. And it's more, I would say, it's more akin to something like Donnie Darko than yes. it is to something like Benny Loves Me or Benny Loves You. I actually thought about Donnie Darko quite a bit while watching this movie. And it's not just because of the animal suit thing. <laughs> um, but it's more about you basically are with this character and you, along with the character, have no grasp on reality. You don't know, as the audience, if something that 
he's seeing or he's doing is actually happening or if it's part of his madness. And I think that that's a very difficult line to walk yes. as a filmmaker. And I think to make it even somewhat believable. Yeah. Or even able, you know, to follow it. Yes. And I think this filmmaker nailed it. Oh, yeah. I really do. I, I mean, 100% of the props really go to our lead character, Wilson Klaus, who was played by Nayasha Hatendi. And he did such a brilliant job of being a sympathetic character of making you... He has such a kind face, first of all. Oh my God, this guy just makes you want to hug him. He looks so sweet and so kind. And you feel for him. You know, it in that way, it kind of reminds me of characters like Norman Bates, where you know they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but at the same time, you are sympathetic to that character and you don't want them to get caught or you don't want them to think anything, you know, anyone to think anything ill of them. Um, there are a lot of characters throughout cinema history that do this, but with him, it's more of a, he's doing things that make him come off awkward. And you kind of cringe a little bit on the inside because you don't like to see people that you care about in awkward situations. Or you're like, no, don't say that. that. That's not normal. Or don't, you know, don't do that. They're going to think you're weird. And so I really felt that for this character. I was completely 100% invested in this character. Yeah. And he just, he nailed it. The I, film also does a good job of, and I always comment on this, when the story is laid out for you. And they give you a piece at a time. And that's how good storytelling should go. I mean, there's no giant exposition dump or anything like that. It tells a story as the movie goes along. And you begin to realize this guy. I mean, there's a little throwaway line where he is talking to one of his neighbors in the apartment building. And she's like, you know, so what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I just want to kind of get a fresh start. Start over. And, you know, she asks something like, did somebody hurt you? And he's like, no, I might have hurt somebody else. Or something akin to that. He wants to, to get away from causing pain yeah, that's or it. something. So you know there's something there. And there's a lot of time, there's a lot of that in this movie. And I really like that, where there are hints and suggestions of what the story is before you finally get there. So when you do get there, it all makes sense and you can remember, oh, okay, they did this and then they did this. And remember when they showed you this, this is why. And I just, I really like that. When a movie really comes together at the end. And that's what this did for me. Yeah, I mean, when we first meet the guy who's going to be his boss... You know, you don't really know what kind of person he's going to be. Like, is he like some kind of evil? Is this an evil corporation that yeah. knows? Like, is it like starry eyes or something? Well, and I, yeah, when he, the first time he puts on the suit, I was just like, oh, is there something? I was ex fully expecting there to be something magical about this suit or something sinister that the corporation knew that they were doing. And, and it does play to that because... There are hints and suggestions that might be there. The fact, just how they roll this Puka product out. And, you know, oh, it tested very well. And yeah, they're not selling it nationwide. They're doing it at pop-up stores, which would make no goddamn sense. And just there is this air of mystery or mm -hmm. evil. Or, or just being a little bit off. Yeah. 
that and leads so, yeah, you to believe kind of lead you in that direction. There could be something more, but then as it goes on, it starts veering in a very different uh, you know, direction. Yeah, yeah. It also has a catchy little song. Oh yeah, got me. Puka, you. you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if it's, it'll get stuck in your head like the Willy's Wonderland song yes. that does, you know. But I like that. I, I love the idea behind this toy. It basically uh, records and repeats. It's what like a you Teddy Ruxpin. But you don't get to choose what it records and repeats. It's random. Yes. So you could have an entire conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden, Puka will just come out with something that you said in the middle that may not and it's always the most or i guess least appropriate thing to do and then uh he has a naughty or night you know a naughty setting and a nice setting but but you can't control that either control it puka decides whether he's going to be so you never know what puka's gonna do yeah and i just think that's a fun idea Mm -hmm. uh, at least as a jumping off point for a story like this and then um, I think they use it well. Um, mainly, it is a tragic, tragic story. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's very sad, but very good. I can't believe that I skipped over. There's even a sequel. Yeah, I'd heard that once I posted on my Facebook. Somebody was like, oh, yeah, we liked it, and we liked the sequel. And I remember... That's what made me think of the podcast. I'm like, oh, yeah, they were talking about a sequel, but I don't know anything about it. I don't know what it's called. I went looking on the director's IMDb page, and I don't think he directed the sequel. So maybe he just produced it or something. Maybe I don't it's just know. called Puka 2, and because I looked it up. And Electric Boogaloo? And I think it has a, um, I think it does have a subtitle, but it's not that. <laughs> It should be. And then I get the impression it goes in a completely different direction. Mm. You know, so it, it just from what I briefly saw of it, I don't think the Wilson character is in it at all. I think it's just a totally different story. Well, honestly, I, I hope, I hope not because that story was self-contained. Yeah, it they, was, it was done. That story yeah. was finished and they finished it. They well don't need they to beat that job. dead horse to bring out a sequel. You can do enough with this character, Puka. This strange teddy bear rabbit thing that you don't need to have this guy come back or any of the people from the original come back. I mean, hell, it's a toy. You can, you know, five years later, they tried to resell it. You know, they tried to start it again. But I am interested in watching uh, the sequel. I will say, if you want to watch this, this is part of the Into the Dark series. Blumhouse does a series of movies all based on various holidays for Hulu and we've watched a couple of them now Mm -hmm. and we've honestly liked them I don't think any one was a standout like oh my god but they've all been solid of the ones we've seen anyways so uh if you want to check it out it is on Hulu it is part of the it's kind of hard to find because for whatever reason they list it as a tv show despite you know, every episode, quote unquote, being like an hour and a half. I mean, everything is its own movie unrelated to all the rest, but yeah, whatever. But uh, look for Into the Dark or look for Puka. P-O-O-K-A. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. And I think Hulu is the only place it is available yes, right now. because it, it is a Hulu original. Yeah. So, unfortunately, we've... Laid down two really interesting, definitely need to check out Christmas movies, but both of them only have 
one way to watch them. Well, <laughs> so this is I mean, hidden horror. So <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I highly recommend Puka. Of the two, this is my favorite. Yeah, I, I think that it just it handles just his psychological downfall yes. so incredibly well. I think the actor portrayed that very well. I think all the acting, and there ain't much here because again, some characters are reused, but. Everybody who does show up here, I think, does good work. I really love the direction, but of course I would. And uh, I love the look of Puka. It is so... It is ridiculous, but it's also messed up. Like, scary, kind of. I love that his that his eyes are headlights. Yeah. It's something so simple, but very effective. And it kind of makes sense, you know. But it also has like a creepy look to it well because what i like about them is they change with his mood but if you watch the movie pay attention to colors in the background they'll mirror puka's mood even when the actor isn't dressed up in his puka suit it's just letting you know blue is happy nice good red not so good and then if you see flames yeah that's really bad (laughs) (laughs) okay uh well that was cool. If you, again, if you have seen this movie, let us know what you thought. If you haven't, check it out and then uh, let us know what you thought. And those are our two holiday movies. Yeah, I guess I should say Puka is a holiday film. It is all set around Christmas. They're releasing this toy at Christmas time. So this was the Into the Dark pick for the Christmas holiday. And I have to say that in both of these films, I think Christmas is represented very well. Sometimes you'll have movies that are, you know, holiday movies of any, you know, just pick a holiday. And it really looks like they took an existing script and said, well, we'll put a Christmas tree in the background and call it a day. You know, no, these films are both heavily centered around the holiday itself. But I will say, as a Midwestern boy, there is a bit of a disconnect with both these films, as both of them are set in California. And I'm sorry, Christmas <laughs> needs snow. <laughs> I know you're from Georgia, so that probably doesn't compute. But no, what- I mean, even people who didn't... I actually did have some white Christmases in Georgia, thank you very much. Okay. But even people who have never experienced a white Christmas... I was going to say maybe somebody in Hawaii, but uh, we don't know about that. They just had a blizzard. <laughs> but, but yeah, if you still don't believe climate change is real, fucking look around. <laughs> Even if we don't have one, you you know what it means to have a white Christmas and you kind of always want one. You know, now that I've been living in Michigan, I, it's fine with me. Well, that was my <laughs> big, uh, yeah, you, you can pretty much count on a white Christmas here, but, uh, that was like my big disconnect with the, oh, what was it? Silent Night, the Silent Night, Deadly Night kind of remake. Oh, yeah. That was set, I think, in California. Mm-hmm. And just everything was too sunny, too bright, too green. It just, it doesn't speak of Christmas to me. I get that. Uh, it makes sense. Maybe I don't care so much about the snow missing because I grew up in Georgia and I'm not used to but here like it it actually usually snows on Christmas Day Mm -hmm. okay well that will wrap up our movie portion and we're going to come back with 
our Bumps in the Night segment. And to all, a good night. Not yet. They have to finish the show. Okay. Bumps in the Night. On this episode's Bumps in the Night, we're going to be doing a special request that is oh so Christmassy. Okay, what's that? Which is perfect for our Christmas special. And this was... Well, you're hyping it up a lot. I get, well, it's a cool idea. This was requested by Debbie. Okay. And she suggested that maybe we talk a little bit about the dark side of Santa. Is it like when Billy gets the axe and starts punishing people? Not that exactly. I'm thinking more historical. Oh. But, you know, I, that, I guess, could work. You know, Well, that was made in punish. That's pretty historic now. Naughty. <laughs> but she didn't even know we were doing a Christmas special. And actually, I didn't even know we were doing a Christmas special when she made the suggestion. She made the suggestion. And then as I was, you know, trying to think of things to do, like plan the episode L, I was like, you know what? Why don't we do... A Christmas special, like we did Halloween specials, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, this actually still has the traditional format, but we, you know, Christmased it up, except for the bond. Okay. So anyway, so what I did was I did a little bit of research, and I came up with a couple of interesting things. Everyone knows about Krampus. You know, there have been 150 movies uh, made about Krampus. And everyone knows about St. Nicholas, or what we now know as Santa Claus. Um, and that actually became popular in the Middle Ages. Uh, the name St. Nicholas was a real guy. He was the Bishop of Myra. Yeah, I know. Um, which was in what is now Turkey. And he was born in 280 and died roughly around 343 and was buried in Italy, which will come up again later. But he was known for dropping gold coins down the chimney to pay for the dowry of daughters of men who didn't have money to give a dowry. Because, you know, back in the olden days, now honestly, uh, as far as human history goes, it hasn't been that far off. And for all I know, there are people who still do it. But when you wanted to marry off your daughter, you had to pay the guy basically to take your daughter, whether it was you know livestock or ah the money good old or, days or shut up or property or whatever. How much could I got for you? And a lot of times, probably not very much. <laughs> and a lot of times, the families were poor, and if they didn't have money for a dowry, they couldn't marry off their daughters, and they're stuck with all these mouths to feed. And I mean, because everything was so pragmatic, mm -hmm. you know, they had big families so they could have a bunch a, of kids were going to die. <laughs> well, yeah. And also they needed farmhands. Yeah. You know, so everything had a practical reason to it. They had big families, so they did basically have free labor. They, you know, married off their daughters a, a lot oh, of yeah. times for a lot of times it was for political reasons. Back or, in ye you know, olden days, not many people got married for love. Yeah. And... You know, if they couldn't get rid of their daughters and they're already poor, and then as, you know, they're grown, they're eating more, it just wasn't... You wanted to get them out of the house. And so, what he would do... Now, this has never been proven, but it's widely believed that he would drop gold coins down the chimney so that they could then have a dowry for their daughters. And 
uh, obviously that's where the coming down the chimney part comes from. Okay, but the first, uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about is Sinterklaas. And does that sound familiar? Sure. It should, because that's the character from Sint. The, Makes sense. The Dick Moss movie that I love so much. What'd you call me? <laughs> and he had a sidekick, Swartapiet, who is... Um, what, is, what does that mean it now? It means Black Peter. <gasps> <laughs> so it's uh, Sin, uh, Sinterklaas and Swartepiet, or uh, Black Peter. Uh, this is popular in Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, parts of France, and Germany. And they basically deliver toys to good children, but that takes place on the 5th of December. And Tell that, me more about Black Peter. Well... <laughs> Black Peter is very controversial nowadays because what they would used to do is they would have, he wouldn't just have necessarily one Black Peter. He had a lot of Black Peters uh, or like a lot of sidekicks that would help him. Black Peter would be the one that was responsible for leaving lumps of coal for the bad kids so that, you know, that's where that comes from. And he's basically the opposite of Santa. He's, he's not, his sidekick, but he's the, you know. He's not the, quite as harsh as Krampus. No, 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 no. Krampus is scary as hell. But it is very popular, or was very popular, to have parades. And they would have a center class, and then they, they would have multiple people dressed as Black Peter. And basically what that, I mean, we're talking about European countries here, so that would mean white dudes in blackface. I wonder and if they still do they, that. Uh, I imagine some places still do, but it has been very openly discarded well, in yeah. a lot of places. So, I mean, and for, you know, Do you good know reason makes sense. If Black Peter was black because he was African or Black Peter was black just cuz traditionally black was a scary color and he was a scary guy, and so there you go. It's actually believed that it was because he was Spanish. And so That's not the same thing. No, it's not. But listen, like I said earlier, the whole uh, St. Nicholas being buried in Italy thing would come up again. It's because in the Center Claus legend, if you were bad, they would stuff you in a sack and they would put you on the ship and take you back to Spain because they believed that St. Nicholas was buried in Spain. But it turns out he actually wasn't. He was buried in Italy. So none of that even matters anymore. But where the legend came from is that the reason they would kidnap bad children and take them to Spain is because that's where St. Nicholas was coming from, because that's where he was buried. It's a big, long thing. He lives but in the North Pole. Thank you. That is our version of Santa Claus. He drinks Coca-Cola and hangs this, out with polar bears. This Santa Claus uh, wears garb. That's for you, Dave. Uh, based on bishops. And he doesn't have a sleigh, and he doesn't have reindeer. He comes in on a gray, or sometimes a white horse. Oh, okay. And that is also depicted in Scent. Mm -hmm. All of these things. As a matter of fact, they even mention taking kids to Spain. Yeah. And the first time I saw that movie, I was like, what? Why would they take them to Spain? Like, what's, I, what's wrong with Spain? How you know? these guys get a free vacation? What the yeah. hell? And then I actually looked into it, and I was like, oh, I get it. So, yeah, there's that. Then, in southwest Germany, and some German-speaking communities here in the United States, even. Probably Wisconsin. They have Beltsnickel. Yeah, he has many different spellings. I mean, there's like 17, 18 different spellings. There's a lot of them. But they basically translate to Walloping Mickey. 
And uh, he wears like tattered clothes and he's dirty and he beats on doors and windows until he's let in. And then once you let him in, so basically he's like a bum banging on your door and then you let him in. And then once he, once you let him in, he rewards the good kids, but he threatens the bad kids or he actually beats him with a stick. That's awesome. That sounds like some And that's why they call of... him Walloping Nicky. I figured. And he might even make them sing and dance. Like no, that's they have to mean. they have to sing a song about how they're gonna promise to be good next year. And that just seems a little silly to me, and I don't think I'm gonna be open the door to some hobo that's <laughs> hanging on my windows in the middle of the night. Uh, let's see, there are other European boogeymen. Um, it seems that the Europeans really love threatening their children with scary stories. Yeah. And honestly, when I was a kid, they did that too. You know, my great grandmother always told me that the devil was going to come get me. So, yeah, but she was crazy. Yeah, she was. But some of the other ones are Krecht Ruprecht, Hans Trap, Beelzebub. Now that's just <laughs> cruel. And Pere Fotar, uh, or that translates to whipping father. <laughs> a lot they of like kids whipping. getting their ass beat. Yeah, and in a lot of these, they actually beat them with sticks. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a thing. And I think it was birch. I think I think birch sticks were used a lot. And then kids we, have it so easy nowadays. <laughs> we get to the most common one, and the the one that everyone knows, and the scariest one, and that is Krampus. Before you get in that, there is a cat somewhere. Like a big cat, like a kitty cat, but he's huge. I forget what they call him, the Yule Cat, I think. I forget which country it is. But in this country, in this area, if you don't wear new clothes that you got on Christmas, the cat will come and fuck you up. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah, it's a, the Yule Cat. Look it up. Or maybe cat is a different... Is it like Yule Ketza? But yeah, there is a big-ass cat. Who just waits and watches, and if you're not wearing your new Christmas clothes, ooh, he's gonna come mess you up. <laughs> that is so weird. Yeah. And where does that even come from? Like, why a cat? And why a giant cat? I don't know. I'll look it up. You can start with the Krampus. Okay, well, I mean, it's everyone really knows about him. He also beats children. I see a theme here. And he comes on Krampusnacht, uh, which is the 5th of December. And then he's followed by either St. Nicholas or Christkind, which is another one, but I didn't mention Christkind because he's actually a good one, and I was trying to focus on the scary ones, but Christkind, which basically um, translates directly to Christ child, is another very benevolent, friendly, kind one. So whether you believe it's going to be St. Nicholas or whether you believe it's going to be Christkind, Krampus comes on the 5th, and then behind him... Like, later in the evening, I guess, they come. And that is Krampusnacht. Icelandic Christmas folklore. That makes sense. Yule Cat is a huge and vicious cat who is described as lurking about the snowy countryside during Christmas time and eating people who have not received any new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. Oh, wait, wait. That's... That's... He eats the people who have not received yeah. clothes. That's mean. Yeah, they can't I mean, help what they do. Exactly. Yet. 
And yeah, I guess he just doesn't beat you up or anything. He eats your ass. <laughs> that makes no sense at all. I mean, uh, that's just straight up mean. Well, that's, you know, Iceland. They're weird. One thing I thought was interesting, and this doesn't have anything to do with Santa or Dark Santa or anything like that. But one thing I thought, uh, I always thought was interesting is, have you ever noticed how the Christmas tree in Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, mm -hmm. looks kind of gauzy or it almost looks like there's spider webs on the tree? Yeah. That's because there are spider webs on the tree. I mean, not literal spider webs, but sometimes you'll see that people decorate their trees with spider webs. Or what looks like spider webs. And I think it looks cool. Like, I actually love it. I think it's beautiful. We couldn't do it because we have an artificial tree, and I am not the one to be trying to pull all that shit no. off. No. I always hated that tinsel stuff, and yeah. it just um, got everywhere. But in when I years ago, when I watched that movie, I'm like, wow, that looks so cool, but what is that? And then so I ended up looking it up. And it was a thing that, uh, I think it was like Germany, Poland, and somewhere, Ukraine, maybe, that finding a spider or a spider's web on your Christmas tree is good luck. So they will then, that's where the idea of spreading what looks like spider webs on your tree came from. And... And it is the Ukraine, because in Ukraine, they also make little ornaments in the shape of spiders. Nice. I think that's neat. I've never seen one, but that's cool. That's just a cool idea. Talking about neat. And I'm guessing it's because they would drag the trees from outside and there would probably be spiders living in them. And if you if you got one, like if your tree had a spider in it, and like, oh, good luck. Maybe they told their kids that so their kids wouldn't freak out. I wonder or some if... dude told his wife that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of weird, here's more about Icelandic Christmas folklore. Ooh! You know how I just said they're weird? Yeah. They're weird. Okay, well, hit me. Okay. This is awesome. The Yule Lads <laughs> arrived over the course of the last 13 nights before Christmas, beginning on the 12th of December. One then departs each day, beginning on Christmas Day, in the order they arrived. Thus... Each of them stays for 13 days. And there's a bunch of Icelandic names here, but I cannot pronounce them. Luckily, they have English translations. And the first one is Sheep Coat Clod. He harasses sheep, but is impaired by his stiff peg legs. What? Then there's Gully Gak. He hides in gullies waiting for an opportunity to sneak into the cow shed and steal milk. Then there's... What does that have to do with Christmas? They're Yule Lads, baby. Yeah, well, just because you put it in the name... <laughs> I'm not done. There's Stubby. <laughs> he is abnormally short and steals pans to eat the crust left on them. So don't leave crust in your pans or Stubby is coming to take them away. Haha. <laughs> what does that have to do with Christmas? Then there's Spoon Licker. <laughs> what the fuck? He steals and licks wooden spoons. And he is extremely thin due to malnutrition. Aww. Well, is it clean wooden spoons that he's licking? Or I'm he guessing the idea is... The, the idea is don't leave dirty dishes. That's what... <laughs> well, the idea behind a Yule Cat, you know, I was looking and some people believe... 
people who had sheep would tell their workers that to bring in all the wool before Christmas. It was like to motivate them. Because okay. if you don't bring in the wool, we can't make the clothes. If we can't make the clothes, then some kids are getting eaten and it's all your fault. So these are all kind of like, you know... Impractical. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sure the sheep guy is harassing sheep who are not kept after. I'm sure the gully guy who drinks milk, you're supposed to probably milk your cow every night or something. Stubby will eat the crust out of your pans, so make sure you wash your pans. Or maybe don't leave, like, maybe it's about waste. Yeah. Spoon licker licks wooden spoons, so make sure you clean your spoons. Uh, the next guy is Pot Scraper, and he steals leftovers from pots. Sounds like him and Stubby would get in fights. There is and then they just leave the spoon around. And <laughs> poor, poor Spoon Licker, all he gets is to lick the spoon. There is Bowl Licker, and he hides under beds, waiting for someone to put down their ass-cure. I type a bowl with a lid used instead of dishes, which he then steals. Then there's Door Slammer. He likes to slam doors, especially at night, waking people up. That's He's just a, a dick. Ghost. Yeah, I mean, that ain't you not cleaning your door. Maybe the idea there is lock your door. Did they mention belly button lint stealer? No, he could be coming. There is Skewer Gobbler. He has a great affinity for Skewer, which is similar to <laughs> yogurt. So make sure you finish your yogurt. Or your, say it one more time, I just love to hear you say it. Skewer Gobbler. <laughs> Then there's Sausage Swiper. <laughs> he hides in rafters. This is made up. He hides in rafters <laughs> and snatches sausages that are being smoked. Wait, do we have any Icelandic listeners? <laughs> Please, I, I hope know. we do. Please, if you are an Icelandic <laughs> listener, tell me. Have you ever heard of any of this shit? Tell I me if your parents ever scared you at night saying, Ooh, you know, Sausage Swipe is coming for you. That sounded very Icelandic. Yeah, it does. I think we're being punked. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone's punking the internet. <laughs> then there's Window Peeper. <laughs> Well, that one at least makes sense. He's Although a, it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. He's a snoop who looks through windows in search of things to steal. Then there's Doorway Sniffer. Oh, that's that guy that was caught on the ring camera in <laughs> California. <laughs> oh, he was a liquor. Never mind. <laughs> he has abnormally large nose and an acute sense of smell, which he uses to locate leaf bread. Lafa Brada. What? These are just so stupid. <laughs> and have nothing to do with Christmas. And then there's Meat Hook, who uses a hook to steal meat. <laughs> I guess you can just grab it. <laughs> they have a lot. Wow. You know what? That paints a very broad picture, though, of life in Iceland. Yeah, they're weird. be hard. Yeah, you know, it's true. People are always trying to steal your shit. I mean, no wonder Bork's so messed up. Bork? Oh, you mean Bjork? Bjork, that's it. <laughs> Bork. I was like, Bork, 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 Bork. <laughs> no, that's no, Sweden, that's baby. Swedish. <laughs> oh. God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, we're Americans. You can easily make fun of us. Don't worry about it. 
Last That's one. True. <laughs> Candle Stealer. Oh, he, let me guess. <laughs> he licks your toe jam. He follows children in order to steal their candles, which were once made of tallow and thus edible. So there you Animal go. Fat. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's the Yule Lads. They're pretty awesome. And apparently they're starving. Yeah. Anyways, that has nothing to do with Santa Claus, but <laughs> I thought it was neat. Well, I tried looking up the legend. There's actually a Wikipedia article called The Legend of the Christmas Spider. And the first thing it says is, the legend, the origin of the legend is unknown. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks. Um, now, not where it came from. I mentioned that, but they don't know why it started. But I honestly think it probably has something to do with them dragging their tree in from outside. And if there was a spider in it, then, I mean, because they also do think in Germany, spiders in the house are good luck. And unless it's a black spider, black spiders are not good luck. And they also tell you, you know, not to destroy a spider web until you know that the spider is safely out of the way. And we've already talked about how we both yeah. honor spiders and we don't kill them, you know. So that's kind of neat. One last thing. <laughs> In the east of Iceland, there exists a folktale of a specific group of Yule lads. They did not come from the mountains, but the ocean. One very obscure nursery rhyme mentions two female Yule pranksters who steal melted fat by either stuffing it up their noses or putting it in their socks. That's awesome. <laughs> so you got these two chicks running around with a whole bunch of fat sticking out of their socks and their noses. <laughs> and I bet they're slipping all over the place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, well, I found something else kind of interesting. This is, as the legend goes, during the holidays in Wales, the dead horse Mary... Now, I actually descend from the Welsh, and I don't know how to pronounce this, but Lwyd, I guess. UK people, let me know if you know. Uh, rise from the grave, then goes door to door, challenging those who dare to a... Rhyming Battle of Wits. It's epic rap battles of history. With a dead horse. <laughs> That's awesome. And here's what that looks like. But can you really beat the dead horse? Ah, <laughs> groups of revelers take a decorated horse skull around and knock on doors. When the door opens, the group will sing Mary Lude's Challenge, then start a Quinco or call-and-response rhyme battle with those inside the home, each group trying to outdo the other. That really is a fucking rap battle. Yeah, that's sweet. A rap battle with a dead horse skull. In Oaxaca, Mexico, and I was so excited when I learned how to pronounce that word that I was a kid, but... I Oaxaca? Just, Oaxaca, yeah. Because it looks like Oaxaca, mm. if you're, you know, English. Um, <laughs> but... Um, in Oaxaca, Mexico, this century-old holiday is celebrated every December 23rd. The tradition began when merchants tried to attract shoppers on their way to and from Christmas church services with intricate vegetable displays. The merchants carved radishes into people, animals, and other decorative shapes. The most imaginative and skillfully carved radishes would be snatched up to be used as centerpieces on holiday tables. And that's kind of interesting just because 
Oh, no, those were turnips. Never mind. Yeah, and radishes are tiny. Well, they, maybe they, they've grown bigger there. I don't know. I guess. I've seen radish flowers. Like, restaurants uh, will still carve radish flowers for decoration, so maybe that's where they came. It's called Noche de los Rabanos, or Night of the Radishes. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Anyway, that's not scary. It was just weird. I like learning about all the Icelandic craziness. Yeah, that's wild. I have Iceland's heard... such a little country, too. <laughs> and maybe they have nothing else better to do. I have oh, never heard on that. of... Any of those, so that's crazy. I don't know, so are there any strange Christmas traditions that you guys know of, maybe from family members, or maybe you live in a country where they actually do them? And it may seem normal to you, but maybe people across the world would think that was bizarre. I'm sure there are a lot of things that we do at Christmas time that people just don't get. <laughs> that to us seem perfectly normal. I don't, I can't really think of anything that I think would seem weird to people, but then again, we don't have hobos banging on our windows, you know, or, you know, Spoon having children eaten by giant cats <laughs> or people stuffing fat up their nose and in their socks. So, you know, that's that. But if you know of anything interesting, uh, drop us a comment and let us know, because I think this stuff is fascinating. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to be heading now into the end of Bondathon. It's part two, and I, I think it ends on a high note. Yeah. But, um, and if you don't check that out, well, you're an asshole. We'll see you in the next episode. But if you do, keep on going. You're not an asshole. I love you. <laughs>
I was going to do that. Thank you very much. <laughs> you always do the stupid sounds. I wanted to do it once. Okay. Welcome everyone to Bondathon Part D. Bond. James Bond. <laughs> okay. Let's dive into it with no further shenanigans. We left off with another Roger Moore James Bond. This one is the awesomely titled Octopussy. <laughs> Honestly, I was afraid to say that movie title when I was little. I thought I would get in trouble. <laughs> it's not dirty. Octopussy from 1983. Now, in addition to Roger Moore coming back, a neat little uh, side thing is this is the return of Maud Adams. She is the titular Octopussy in this film, but she was also the Bond girl, the main girl from The Man with the Golden Gun. So she actually did double duty. She played two different roles in James Bond movies, both of Roger Moore. So that's kind of cool. As for the story here... Wait a minute. 
Notable villain here is Kamal Khan, played by Louis Jordan. And the song is All Time High by Rita Coolidge. Oh, that's right. Yeah. As for the story, it centers around jewelry smuggling. At least that's what gets James Bond involved. And one of the other double O agents dies in the very, like the cold opening of this movie. So James Bond wants to look into why he died and get some revenge, but he knows it has to deal with the Fabergé egg and somebody is making copies and selling them at auction and he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Kamal Khan, I don't know if he's supposed to be Indian, but it's set in India. He always comes off to me as an English dude, but that could just be because, well, England kind of ran India for a long time. So maybe he was an Indian person who was raised under the English. I don't know. He does have this one giant Indian bodyguard who's like super strong as the best henchmen are. He like crushes some dice in his bare hands, which is always neat. Anyway, so basically James Bond goes to India looking for a jewelry smuggling. It's tied to this traveling circus, which is led by Octopussy. And she also smuggles diamonds. That's how they smuggle all this stuff through their circus because this is during the Cold War and they're still East and West Germany. And it was a big pain in the ass to get from, you know, Eastern Europe to Western Europe. But I guess because this is a circus, (laughs) they get no problems. But also there's a secondary story that you find out. The Russians are also mixed up in this. And they want to detonate a nuke in the American airbase in West Germany. And this way, the idea is if that happens, all of Europe would go, ah, and, you know, all America, you got to get all your nukes out of here. And then without the nukes, the Russians, who had a ginormous military advantage as far as like tanks and men, they would start World War Three. So the whole idea behind this is James Bond is trying to stop a nuke from starting off World War III. So it's a pretty good premise for a James Bond movie. There's some global stakes. There is a lot of fun here. There are these assassins and they have like a saw blade yo-yo thing as their trademark weapon. And that was neat. James Bond gets to float around in a crocodile submersible submarine thing. The main villain is a bit... Yeah, I mean, there's not much done with him. And the real main villain here is the Russian general who wants to start this whole big war. But this is not one of my favorite Bond movies, but I do have a a warm spot in my heart for it because, well... The title? Yeah, yeah, the title. But mostly because <laughs> it was 1983. That means this would have been on HBO in 84 and 85, and you would have seen it 58 times. Yes. Yeah. And I did. I mean, this was on all the time. Another reason why I love James Bond movies so much is because by and large, they're PG rated. Now, some of the newer ones are PG 13, but still, that's not bad. So when I was, when I did all my years working Today's at PG 13, it's basically PG. Yeah. Um, our PG. Yes. But when I did all my years working at the video stores, They always had this thing where you could watch whatever movie you wanted as long as it was PG or later PG-13 and below. So I watched a lot of James Bond movies at the video store. 
So I've seen this movie probably 30 times. No joke. I like this one because I feel like the the plot is very fitting for 1983. Yes. Uh, in the early to mid 80s, on into the, honestly, the late 80s, like 87, there were still things coming out. But nuclear war was everywhere. It was on the tip of everyone's tongue and it kept us as kids, a lot of us, okay, maybe just me, awake at night. Uh, it was something that could happen at any moment or so we thought. And, you know, and I've talked about this numerous times before, how, how much of an impression that made on me. But I think that it's basically kind of like a time capsule thing, what, you know, I especially was gonna, with the Russian villain. I was going to say this is a very, a very perfect movie of its time. I like that, you know, the whole East and West Germany. Mm-hmm. Hell, we probably got listeners out there who may not know that was a thing. They probably should. I'm sure that's still taught in high school. I, or I, stuff, I, I would think they should. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely some who's never experienced that. Or who didn't get to watch them tear down that wall. Yeah. But also there's this plays into the thing at the time where the reason this Russian is all hell-bent to start World War Three is because this is during the fall of the Soviet Union. It's not, it didn't happen overnight. It's not like, you know, the Soviet Union was a big bad threat and then, bam, they gave up everything and it was peace, love, dope. No, they were in decline for years and this movie talks about that. That's the whole reason he wants to go to war because right now, in 1983, Russia still had the numeric advantage in Europe. They still had, you know, 10 times as many tanks and 100 times as many troops and all that stuff. But the Russian government was, even in 83, slowly starting to dismantle, slowly starting to get away from all that. And he was like, we got to strike now while we still have the upper hand. If we wait any longer, you know, the idiots in the Kremlin are going to give away all our military might. And, you know, we're going to be a bunch of pussies. And so that's the idea behind this story. So I do like that it's very much a 1983 Bond movie. And of course, it's Roger Moore, and I always liked him. He's my second favorite Bond. Yeah, he could sometimes be a bit too jokey, a bit too cringy, but he's the guy I grew up with, so I just love him. I always loved him. I always thought he was so handsome. I had a big crush on him as a kid. Oh yeah, me too. And... Honestly, when I was a kid watching James Bond movies, if I went back to the Sean Connery ones, I didn't get it. Like, I just, I was just like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get the draw. Now, as I watch them as an adult, I I do. Connery, Um, although he wasn't the Bond I grew up with, he is definitely my favorite Bond. I go back now and I really like the, the Connery Bonds, but when I was a kid, I was just like, I don't understand. This guy is so handsome. Meaning Roger Moore. You know, and when you're a kid, that's what's important. Anyways, uh, Jamie gave this one a 5 out of 5. Yeah. Me, I gave it a 4 out of 5. I like it just a little bit less. But I still, you know, do enjoy it. You're going to find that I, I mean, and I think they did find in the last episode that I have a sweet spot for the Roger Moore movies, but a sweet spot. I I have a soft spot. I have a sweet spot, too. Well, get ready to lose that sweet and soft spot. That sounds dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Because sadly, this is our last Roger Moore Bond film. 
This is A View to a Kill from 1985. Okay, this one. We have notable people. Christopher Walken as Max Zorin. We also have Patrick McNee as Tibbet. For ladies, we have the lovely Tanya Roberts. I wanted to be her so bad as Stacey Sutton. I just love her character in this film. And then we have Grace Jones as Mayday. The song is A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. And even if you've never seen the movie, I guarantee you you've heard the song. <laughs> and it's actually one of my favorite songs. It is. I love it. Uh, here we get Christopher Walken. And I really like his character. First off, it's Christopher Walken, so you know it's going to be awesome. It'll be awesome in just how bizarre and weird he plays everything. And he does not disappoint. But here, he is a kid who, at the end of World War II, the Nazis were doing genetic experiments to try and breed super geniuses. And only a few of the kids survived, and he's one of them, but the drawback is, yeah, they became super geniuses, but they also became psychotic and sociopathic. They don't care about anything and will just do whatever the fuck they want to do. And this guy, he's playing uh, Max Zorn, and he is a computer guy. He makes computer chips and he sells them. So naturally, he decides, let's have an earthquake happen in California. A huge earthquake. I mean, that the kind of earthquake that, you know, breaks off California and sinks it into the ocean. They're always saying that's going to happen. He wants to start that because he wants to wipe out Silicon Valley and because that's where like 80 or 90% of the world's microchips come from. And so to corner the market on microchips, he wants to kill millions and millions and millions of people. Makes sense. And so... What's that? It's solid. It's solid. And so he has this whole plan of he gets a mine and he digs into it and he loads it up with explosives, but then he's also going to blow it up to flood it with seawater. And then when the seawater hits the fault line, that will cause, you know, a massive earthquake. To this end, he has Grace Jones as his, like, henchwoman, Mayday, who, of course, because it's a henchwoman or a hench person, is super strong for some reason. Like she picks a dude up over her head and just chucks him. And It's kind of believable with Grace Jones, though, because she frequently plays characters like this, you know, because she's very just tall. She has a commanding presence. Oh, and she so, also has, like, zero body fat. I mean, she is toned. Toned! Oh, my God. She's in insane good shape. But it... Like, she just is really good at playing characters, even in movies where she doesn't say a word, like something like Vamp. Yes. You know, it. she still is very commanding. So, you know, I think it, it coming from her, I don't, I don't watch the scenes with her and go, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I don't, I just believe it because Grace I, Jones can do anything. I remember one other assassin weapons in this movie is Grace Jones with a fishing pole with a little butterfly at the end of it. <laughs> and she like whips it around and sticks it in a guy's face. I guess it was poison or something. But I always thought that was silly. Then they have an awesome, uh, what is it called? Base jump from the Eiffel Tower in this movie. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Zorn tries to escape in a blimp at the end. And James Bond 
tethers it to the Golden Gate Bridge. So there's a lot of action on the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's also a lot of horse racing. I don't know why, but horses are a big part of this movie. But uh, it's a good one. It's not great. But like I've said before, even when James Bond isn't great, he's good. And that's the case here. Uh, James Bond was really, sh- I mean, Roger Moore, I guess, was really showing his age. Especially when he's, you know, trying to romance Tanya Roberts. Yeah. I was like, geez, somebody not only has, like, daddy issues, but granddaddy issues. <laughs> but, uh, it's a good movie. I think the highlight for me is Christopher Walken, just because he's awesome. And he doesn't do a typical, like, cliche Christopher Walken performance here. But just, he really seems like he's enjoying being a psychopath. Just doing whatever he wants. And, you know, he's smiling while he's doing it and laughing. And, you know, he's machine gunning 300 people and just having a good time. So, uh, yeah, it's a solid Bond movie. Jamie gave it another 5 out of 5. Because she loves her Roger Moore. I do. Me, I gave it a four also, I love out of Tanya five. Roberts. Yeah, she she's one of my favorite Bond girls of all time, just because she is gorgeous. But yeah, that was uh, a view to a kill from '85. We now jump ahead two years to 1987. This is the Living Daylights, and it is a new James Bond. This would be. The first movie in Timothy Dalton's very short career as Bond. And I never got that. I always liked him as Bond. I thought he was a good Bond. Yeah, but, I don't know if he didn't want to do it anymore or if they, if for whatever reason they didn't think he performed well enough. But to me, he's the type of actor that Bond, particularly this era of Bond, was made for. Yeah, you know? I always liked his take on Bond. He's a bit rougher, a bit more cold-blooded. And I like that from my Bonds. But he's still very charming and, you know, he smiles and jokes and he does everything that Roger Moore did. I just find him more believable when he does, like, the hard-edged Bond. This one also features Jodon Baker, and I love Jodon Baker. I've loved him since he played Sheriff Pusser. (laughs) I just, he is so gruff and there's... I just love anything he's in and anything he does. But he plays Brad Whitaker. We have Jeroen Kraba, Yorgi Koska. Oh, and then we have Mariam Dabo as Kara Milovi. And that is Olivia Diabo's sister. Mm. Which most I can people s- know Olivia. Yeah, I can see the resemblance. Oh, they look exactly alike to me. But um, everyone knows Olivia. She's the, I, I, I would say it's safe to say she's the more famous of the two. Probably. And the song is The Living Daylights, makes sense, by performed by Aha. Take on me. Take on me. <laughs> Here, once again, James Bond's going up against the Russians. It actually starts off pretty cool where he has to... Yes, once again, go into East Germany to smuggle out a Russian general who wishes to defect. And he does it in typical James Bond awesomeness. But then the Russians strike back and they kill a bunch of British agents and they steal this defector back. But then you learn that was all a ruse. That was all this Russian's plan from the beginning. And he's not really a 
I mean, he's a Russian, but he's not doing anything for Mother Russia. He's trying to do his own thing, and he's just using his position in the Russian military to get stuff down. The other bad guy is that Brad Whitaker, whatever it was that you said. He's like a wannabe soldier. He's like a wannabe general. And he has like his own private army, and he's all about military history and all that stuff. But he's a joke. I mean, he never was in the military anywhere, and he's just a poser, but he is a gun runner. So, he's selling guns to this Russian guy. He gets involved with this whole thing. And here, James Bond is trying to track down what happened to the Russian, because he kind of, he always thought it was a bit fishy. And then, when the Russians came and took him back and killed people, he's like, well, I'm going to look into this, because I'm going to get some payback for my people who were killed. And it's also... Just like Rambo 3, this is the one where James Bond goes to Afghanistan to help the Mujahideen. And that hasn't aged poorly since then. <laughs> yeah, that was back when, well, the, you know. <laughs> when the Afghan freedom fighters were the good guys fighting against the Russians. And, you know, we all loved them and helped them. So here you get James Bond running through Afghanistan. And also, 35 years ago, a lot of things changed well, yeah. in 35 years. The world is always moving. You know, your friends today are your enemies tomorrow. That's just how the world works. And it always has. And it that's something I find interesting about history, is every country ever made was born in blood. Yes. In some form or another. And... If yeah, no look, co- no country ever came about peacefully. Not even like Sweden or, you know, <laughs> any other countries that now, we're neutral, we're neutral. Yeah, but you didn't always, you know, you weren't always neutral now, were you? But that's just the way that things are. That's the way the world is formed. That's the way it always has been done. And it surprises me now. Like, if you can even go back and look at maps from when we were in school, and they're different now. Yeah. Because you like to think, well, it's not even that you like to think it. I think it's just natural that we as humans think that where we are now is where we're going to be and that everything else is in the past. All the moving around and the distribution of ownership and and landlines has been done. And where we are now is where it's going to stay. The end. But it's just not true. Well, hell. Things are constantly changing. When we were kids... Once again, there was an East and West Germany. Yeah. And I didn't think, as a kid, I never thought they would come back together as one country. I thought that was the way it was going to be. That's just the way it is. That's the way it had been our whole lives. So why would it be any different? You know, why would it change? It's just there was an East Germany and there was a West Germany. And there was a Soviet Union. And there was, I mean, you look over there in the Eastern European side. Those little nugs of land have moved around a bunch, you know, so, and changed names. And it's I remember when there was a Yugoslavia. Yes. (laughs) Remember the Yugo? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So things are constantly changing and being moved and... It's always, there's always violence associated with it because that's just the nature of the way humans on the whole do things, you know, and it's, it's just kind of interesting to me to, to look back and see how things have changed in just a short period of time. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's just something I think about a lot. Yeah. 
This is a decent Bond film uh, like the rest. As I said, I really do like Timothy Dalton as Bond. I wish he would have had a longer career as it. But for yeah. whatever reason, he didn't. I think he has the right look, the right air of personality. The, you know, he carries himself like I picture James Bond carrying himself. You know, it's he was kind of perfect for the role. Yeah. Uh, the story is okay. It's nothing great. It's typical James Bond, you know, double-crossing spies and Russians and all that stuff. But uh, it's decent. Uh, Jamie, she gave it a 3.5. Not a fan of Timothy Dalton? No, I like Timothy Dalton. I just... It's not one of my favorite stories. No, I get that. Me, once again, I give it another 4 out of 5. It's a solid... I really like this film. We now jump ahead to 1989, and this will already be Timothy Dalton's last James Bond appearance. It's License to Kill. Okay, here we have one of my favorite bad guys in film, Robert Dobby as Franz Sanchez. We have Carrie Lowell as Pam Bouvier. Honestly, one of my least favorite Bond girls. Mm. She's okay, but I don't think she's great. Talisa Soto as Lupe Lamora. Anthony Zerby as Milton Crest. And Frank McRae as Sharky. Special shout out, Benicio Del Toro. Oh, also uh, Everett McGill. Yeah. But uh, Benicio, this is one of his first movies. He was just... Yeah, he's very young. He was movie. just one of the henchmen. And uh, Wayne, no uh, Wayne Newton actually shows up as a professor. Uh, the song is Licensed to Kill by Gladys Knight. I never remember this song. Must not have hit me. Mm, I know I would know it if I heard it, but it's not one that I can immediately call to mind. Here, this is a very personal James Bond movie. It begins with the wedding of an old, old, old-time James Bond buddy... Felix Leiter. I mean, he was from the... He was he first showed up in Dr. No. Yeah. So he's been there from the beginning. He's like the CIA, the American counterpart to Bond. They're buddies, they're friends, they've worked together. And now Felix is getting married, but they have to hold off on a wedding because they just got word that in Florida, there's, I think... There's a made-up South American country. I forget what it's called, but... There's a guy from there who, since he lives there, he has all this diplomatic immunity and he can't be extradited. But for whatever reason, he's in Florida and he's a big time coke dealer. So Felix, which this wouldn't be the job for the CIA, but whatever, he goes in with the ATF. It would kind of be their job. It'd mostly be the DEA, but whatever. And they go to capture him, or try to, and James Bond goes along for the ride, and then they have this awesome scene where the bad guy's getting away on a plane, the good guys are above him in a second plane, James Bond flies out of the window on a wire, and attaches the wire to the bad guy's plane, and then they just fly away with him. So that was cool. But mainly, Felix and Bond capture this big-time coke dealer. Of course, he gets out. That's Robert Davi, and he wants revenge. So, this is it's this is pretty dark. I want to say this might be the first 
PG-13 Bond film. It would make sense considering the year. Uh, PG-13 had been in use at that point for about five years, so it was pretty commonplace. But here, Robert Davi and his Coke friends, they get a hold of Felix and his wife. They rape the hell out of the wife, and they feed Felix to a shark. And it doesn't kill Felix, but it... He loses his legs. I think he loses an arm. He gets messed up. And Bond is pissed. Because, you know, you mutilated my friend and you raped his wife. That's it. It's personal. And the British government's even like, no, wait, we can't do anything. He has ties to that South American government. You're going to create an international incident. So we forbid you from doing anything. And that's where James Bond goes, okay, you know what? Fuck you. I quit. And he's going to go do it himself anyways. So this is definitely, this is the rogue James Bond. He is out for revenge. He's not doing this to save the world or anything like that. He is just out to kill this guy who hurt his friends. And I like that. No, I do too. I like it when things get personal for Bond. You know, like with the Tracy storyline. When yes. they lead back to that in later films when, uh, you know, he has personal stakes in things that are going on. And you get to actually see him react, not as a cold, calculating agent, but as a man and with a personal mission. And I've always loved the relationship between James and Felix. Yes. And it hasn't oh, it hasn't been, you know, bubbling at the top all the time. He's not a constant... He's not in every the movie. Series, you know, there you'll go a long time without hearing his name or seeing him if you watch the entire series. But he has been there since the very beginning, and he was still a presence in the latest film. So he is a character that has some staying power and some. He has a connection to Bond, and if you are a Bond fan, you know that. Whenever Bond would bump into the Americans and have to deal with them or whatever, nine times out of ten, it would be Felix. Yeah. And, And, you know, they they have saved each other a bunch of times. They've worked together a bunch of times. They're actual friends. In this world where, I mean, they're both assassins, basically. They're both killers for their government. So that would be a hard place to make friends, but they actually do. And that's why James Bond, he's so pissed that maybe his only real friend was messed up. So I like this. I like the personal touch. I like how dark and, you know, I mean, hell, this, they gang rape his wife. And, you that's know, a little death wishy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Did this Cannon was... Did make this movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> but this was definitely trying to take Bond... To a darker place. And if you ever read the novels, he can be a very dark, very cold-blooded individual. But the movies never really expressed all that much. They would hint at it a little bit here or there. But it wasn't until this movie, I think, that they really made it a point of being part of his character. So yeah, this is James Bond out for revenge against a drug dealer. Jamie gives us a five. So I guess it was just that last movie you didn't like. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Timothy Dalton. But like I said, I really do like how personal this one is. This story in particular, I I love this story. Once again, I give this a four out of five. I think you just blindly give fours across the board. No, there's some that I give, well, spoiler, the next one I give a five. Oh, 
And there's others coming up that I only give a 3.5. So it all depends. I am nothing if not constant in my ratings. But yes, that was the last Timothy Dalton Bond movie. We now go to 1995 and the birth of Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. He famously was supposed to be Bond back when Timothy Dalton got the gig, but because he was in Remington Steel, a TV show, he couldn't get out of contract, and so he missed his opportunity. Well, years later, Remington Steel is no longer a thing, and with Timothy Dalton out, they offered the part back to Pierce, and he wisely took it. I think um, it's kind of funny, considering... Remington Steele, I believe, is the sole reason that everyone wanted him to be James well, yes. Bond. I know that's why I did. I loved Remington Steele. That was one of my favorite shows. That was a good show. I and liked it, it too. It was a damn good show. And he had, he was basically James Bond without being James Bond. Yes. You know, he walked around in tuxedos. He was very suave. He was very handsome. He was, he was very good with a gun. Like, he knew what he was doing, even though he was mainly, the, the, the whole story behind Remington Steel is he was a guy that was hired by a woman who had a private detective agency, but no one would hire a woman. So she hired this guy to portray the role uh, as the detective so that, you know, basically she could actually do her job. And she did most of the detective work. He was mainly the figurehead, but, you know, he got into some sticky situations and he handled them. Like, you could watch that show and say, this guy should be James Bond. And I think everyone did. And I really believe that that's pretty much the only reason he ended up getting the role. But uh, this one also has Sean Bean as Alex Trevelyan. 006. And Natalia Simonova is played by uh, Isabella Skorupko. Skorupko. And Famke Jansen as Xenia on, on a top. top. <laughs> I love that name. They, I mean, they were trying, but they weren't being as overt as they have been. Um, Joe Don Baker is back, but this time he plays Jack Wade. Yeah, he's like the new Felix Leiter. He's the new CIA buddy of James Bond. Uh, Robbie Coltrane is Valentin Zukovsky. He's like James Bond's Russian buddy. And... I think this is the first time we see Judy Dench as M. Yes, it, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, with the birth of Pierce Brosnan, the other guy, he was getting obviously old. I don't know if he had passed away at this point, but he was just getting too old to play the part. So they went with uh, Judy Dench portraying James Bond's boss, M. And I think she did a really good job with oh, it. Oh, she was excellent. I don't remember if there was pushback about having a female M. Well, there was some, and it's actually in this movie, they mentioned something like, oh, you think I'm just a, you know, a woman? Cause, or something like, you don't think I have the equipment, meaning balls, to handle this job? Or should they make some comment on it. And she's like, look, you know, I'll order you to your death and, you know, the next ten guys behind you, I don't care. Whatever it takes to get the job done. Yeah, Judy Dench can play a badass. Yeah. Um, for sure. And uh, the song is Golden Eye uh, by Tina Turner. Oh, okay. Awesome. 
This is a culmination of the whole Russia in decline thing, or specifically the Soviet Union. In fact, the Soviet Union is now gone. They've gone back to Russia, and the whole fact that large portions of the Soviet Union are now mothballed and, you know, rusting and going to waste plays a major part in this film. Well, this is what I was talking about in the previous episode where I said that we would kind of see what happened with the Bond films once the Cold War yes. was over. And it's actually a big plot point here. Judy Dench as M, you know, she often calls Bond a dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. And because things have changed so much since the 60s and 70s and 80s that uh, here now in the 90s, we don't know if we need you anymore. You know, you're irrelevant. The spy game, the intelligence game has changed. But Changed, yes, but... You uh, still need James Bond. But yeah, I mean, and I think it's kind of laughable that anyone would ever think that countries, even if everyone were friends, which has never happened. No. I mean, you've never had the entire world at peace, and you never will. But even if that were the case... Governments would still have spies. Well, Governments would still... I mean, these are things that are always going to be. The United States and the UK have been friends for a long time. We're always ally, allies. We're always helping each other out. We're always, you know, going to each other's defense during times of war. But we spy on each other. To this day, we still spy on each other. Now, it's not as threatening or as violent as maybe the Chinese or the, the Russians or North Koreans or anything like that. But we do, we just, we want to know what other people are doing. Because once again, your friends today may be your enemy tomorrow. So you just want, you need to keep abreast of what's going on in the world. I think... Uh it goes back a, while, a ways, but I think that that sentiment is portrayed very well in several Alfred Hitchcock films. Yes. You know, where you, yes, you are friendly with these countries, but that doesn't mean that you don't keep track of what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, the big difference is if the United States caught a British spy, we might not just execute them out of hand. We'll probably send them back to Britain and go, hey, you stop that now. And of course, they'll go, okay. And then next time they capture one of our spies, they'll, you know, here you go. You know, you shouldn't be looking into this. Okay, we're sorry. But it's just that's the way governments work. Anyways, here we get the always awesome Sean Bean as 006, who dies early on, but spoiler. Because he's Sean Bean. Of course he does. But spoiler, he's the big bad of the movie, and he does it very well. He's he, so good. He's basically evil Bond, because he is a double O agent who went totally rogue and now has this whole big plan of detonating. GoldenEye is basically a Soviet-era space weapon that can launch EMP blasts to wipe out all electronic devices in whatever area it's looking at. It also launched a hell of a good video game. Yes. Oh, yeah. GoldenEye was awesome back in the day. But uh, here Sean Bean wants to do it to wipe out London. And he's going to time it right at the time they're going to crack into the London cyber bank or something. So there will be no records of what he did. So basically he's doing this to make a whole lot of money. And he doesn't care that it's going to kill a whole lot of people. That's just typical for these James Bond-type villains. 
And naturally, Bond ain't going to sit there and, you know, let this happen. So he's off to find out what's going on. You get to go to Cuba. You get to go to, I think, Russia. Oh, obviously Russia, because this movie has an awesome tank chase through Moscow where the bad guys are driving in a car and James Bond jumps into a full size tank and he's chasing after him. And it was just, it's cool trying to watch these cop cars stop a tank. It just really goes to show you, uh, yeah, you're not stopping a tank. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, this is a great movie. Really fun. I give it a 5 out of 5, and so does Jamie. And it's really, really started off the Pierce Brosnan series with a lot of panache. Well, I remember when this one came out. It had been six years since the last Bond film, and this one injected a whole new oh, life yeah. into it. It has a, it has, it's well. Each of the Bonds have their own tone. They have yes. their own style, and this, the era of the Pierce Brosnan Bond, was like, I don't know. It's weird how each Bond fits so perfectly into their time slot, but it just feels right. And there was so much hype and so much excitement about this one. One, I think, because it had been several years since we'd had a Bond film. Two, I think, because people were excited that Pierce Brosnan was finally going to be in this role, which is something that a lot of people had wanted for a very long time. And three, there were tie-in, like the the GoldenEye video game, which mm-hmm. was extremely popular and really good. It was a very good game. And it becomes like a whole marketing thing. So... Yeah, I mean, I think it it just, there was a lot going for this movie at the time, and there were a lot of people that were really excited about it. And just, it was very well received, because it was a very good film. It had a lot of people going, oh, fuck, Bond is back. I mean, this is like the James Bond we always wanted. These are the type of movies we wanted. It was very successful. Unfortunately, that success would not last. And a good case in point for that is... Tomorrow Never Dies from 1997. Of course, we still have Pierce Brosnan as Bond. We have Jonathan Price as Elliot Carver. Michelle Yeoh as Waylon. Terry Hatcher uh, as Paris Carver. Now, was this during Lois and Clark? Or was this before Lois and Clark? Or after? Like... I don't know. It was 97, but I was never... I'm just trying to... I don't remember if when that show was, but she was very popular yeah. when that show was on. And so I don't know if she, you know, landed this role because of that. I'm or... guessing this was either after the show or during. I don't think it was before, because, yeah, she, I don't think she was anything really of note before Lois and Clark. Oh, we had Vincent Chevelli as Dr. Kaufman. He's great. He plays an assassin here who's like an expert shot. And <laughs> he gets a drop on James Bond. He's like, hey, drop your gun. And James Bond's, what's going to... Because he's like, you know, I'm going to make it look like you killed yourself. Because he had did something naughty to one of James Bond's friends. And James Bond's like, if you shoot me from over there, and the guy's sitting like six feet away, it's not going to look like suicide. And he's like, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and still make it look like a suicide. (laughs) (laughs) I like that guy. I always liked him and everything. Uh, The song here is Tomorrow Never Dies, surprise, surprise, but by Sheryl Crow. And I have no idea. Obviously, I heard the song because we watched the movie, but 
Do I know that song? Yeah, I don't. I can't think of it. I don't even remember Sheryl Crow doing a Bond song. So for whatever reason, that song did not stick in my head. Here, it's basically James Bond versus... indicative of the movie on the Yeah. <laughs> this is James Bond versus CNN. The main villain here is a newspaper guy. Specifically, he's a cable news network guy. And the whole idea behind this plan, it's so fucking stupid. This dude wants to start a war between Britain and China so he can sell papers. Now, that is an old thing that goes all the way back to William Randolph Hearst saying, you know, you supply the troops and I'll supply the war and all that stuff. The idea that, you know, war and uh, nations fighting or, you know, tensions building is good for media. Well, that's still true today. It is, but... Actually, more true than it was then, maybe. I don't care how... so many different forms of media. I don't care how sinister your Ted Turner wannabes are. They're not going to start a war between China and the UK. Two nuclear powers. No, I agree. It's dumb. I mean, that is just (laughs) fucking stupid. The whole plot of this is... Newspaper guy wants to sell newspapers. I think they were trying to do, like, sort of a tongue-in-cheek stab at media. Oh, yeah. But honestly, what's funny is... I call this guy the evil Ted Turner, because he's basically the evil Ted Turner. Not that Ted Turner's not evil in and of himself, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) He has his moments. (laughs) I don't like this guy as a villain. He just... He's a nothing. He's used tissue paper. He's, He's garbage. I don't like him. I don't like his motivation. I don't like how he acts in here. I mean, he is so... Mwahaha, I am evil. But it's like that stupid kind of evil. It's like (laughs) evil for evil's sake. Most evil people in the real world, or at least in decent fiction, they're not evil in and of themselves. What they do is evil, but they... Oh, Michael Myers. Yeah, but they can always justify it. They don't see themselves as evil. This guy's like, you know, I am going to start World War III so I can sell papers. It's just, it's dumb. And there's a whole thing with a stealth boat, which was kind of neat, I guess. And that's like the main thing he's going to use to start the war because he can launch nukes wherever he wants and nobody can see it coming. Uh, he has, like, this giant German bodyguard guy, so a lot of this takes place in, I forget what city in Germany, but in Germany. Stuttgart? No, not Stuttgart. <laughs> That's where he would shoot him from. And it also takes place in Vietnam, which is kind of cool, because once again, it shows you, nowadays, American Vietnam, we get along okay. You know, and it wasn't too long ago we had that little thing called the Vietnam War, where that wasn't the case. But even now, there's still communists and all that, but we do a lot of business with Vietnam. It wasn't a war, it was a conflict. Well, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> and it was a tie. Yeah, it was a tie. <laughs> that is another Fish Called Wanda reference. <laughs> but just, I don't, I don't care much for this one. Again, even when Bond isn't great, he's still pretty good. So, I mean, I don't hate this movie. It's just... It's not one of the Bond films. It's not one of my go-to Bond films. It's just, it's kind of there. And for Pierce Brosnan's second take on James Bond, I do think it was a pretty big misstep. Yeah. 
Although you do get some neat things, like there's a cool helicopter chase where a helicopter is chasing Bond on a motorcycle through Vietnam and just <laughs> messing things up as it goes. You get that little stealth boat. How fun must it have been? Must it be to write a Bond film and like, do you sit down and go, okay, these are all the countries I want him to go to. Yes. Let's figure out a way to get him there. Probably. What I've said, you know, in a previous episode is a lot of the appeal of Bond is these exotic locations. Yeah. That's why you... It's always fun to see where he's going to go. Well, that's why, like, in some Bond movies, although I really like uh, Live and Let Die, I was always kind of mad towards that in one regard because it, it takes place in America. Well, I live in America. That's not exotic. So... <laughs> yeah, but so does Goldfinger. Not exclusively, but a good chunk of it takes place in America. Just like... Live and Let Die. I do really like that movie, but just I wish it had more of an exotic feel. Yeah. So I like it when James Bond, you know, he runs off to India and he does this stuff and then he goes to West Africa or something like that and he's doing this stuff. And I just, yeah, I mean, how many of his movies start out like in a snowy place mm-hmm. and then he ends up... At, in a desert. Know, <laughs> you know, and then like in the Caribbean somewhere or, you know, he just there's all kinds of terrain changes and I don't know but that's one thing you can always count on and he's gonna do some glow popping exactly anyways as for this movie we both agree well no you actually like this one a little bit more than me you give it a four out of five and I went with a 3.5 out of five on to the next Brosnan Bond movie it is the world is not enough from 1999 And that title comes from, that is the Bond family motto. Which is awesome, as far as mottos go. Again, we have Pierce Brosnan as Bond. We have Sophie Marceau as Electra King. Robert Carlyle as Renard, which I think is very cool. Because talk about young. He was young, too. And one of my least favorite ever Bond girls. I don't like, I mean, the actress is fine. I don't care for the role, and I don't care for the name. I hate... It's not even that I don't Christmas care for Christmas Jones. It. I hate the name. <laughs> I hate it so much. But yeah, it's Denise Richards as Christmas Jones. Judy Dench and Robbie Coltrane are back. And Desmond Llewellyn is still cute. Mm-hmm. The song is The World Is Not Enough by Garbage. Mm-hmm. And I do remember this song. I, I do, do like it. Yeah. Uh, here, here, Robert Carlyle, he's basically the big bad in here, or at least the one you know of from the beginning. And he has a neat little twist. Uh, he's a terrorist bad guy who another double O agent went to execute and actually shot him in the head. But surprisingly, the bullet didn't kill him. Even more surprisingly, the bullet still in his brain, and it's slowly moving through his brain. Because of that, he's gonna die, but... It's like a time bomb. More importantly to this story is, he lost all sense of feel. Which means he doesn't feel pain. So he can do stuff like, you know, he picks up a big hot rock at one time and presses it into another guy's hand. The other guy is burning and screaming, and he's just sitting there looking at him. And also means he's a tough son of a bitch, because if you can't feel pain, you can kick a lot of ass. Yeah, but you're also getting damaged, and you don't well, even realize it. that's the drawback to it. In fact, there's some various games where you can take some mechanics and 
by utilizing them, you don't feel pain. But whenever they do that, the good ones have you not aware of whatever your hit points are, whatever your health is. Oh. Because, yeah, unless you can feel pain, you would have no idea of, let's say, somebody stabbed you in the back. You would just be walking and bleeding to death until you finally fell over. So, yeah, not feeling pain is not such a great thing. But in this regard, it does make him a tough son of a bitch who can, you know, just be a big badass. Anyways, he's a badass who's looking to get revenge on this one rich family. And they have ties to M, Judy Dench. They're like friends. And at once, some years ago, he had kidnapped Sophie Marceau's character. And she had escaped, and now it's looking like he's coming back after her. So James Bond is sent to protect her, and that's not really James Bond's mission or what he does. But again, because M is personally involved, he's like, well, tough shit, you're doing it anyways. And I love Sophie Marceau. She's a great Bond girl, and just, I've always thought she was cute as hell. So she's one of my favorite Bond girls. And I think she does a really good job here because, surprise, surprise, she's the big bad. She's the one who set everything in motion. And she's playing a victim for the first part only to get everybody to fool everybody and get them to lower their guard. But she's the one who's actually pulling all the strings. She is controlling Robert Carlyle's character, who originally had kidnapped her, and that wasn't part of the plan, but she is such a good manipulator. She seduced him. She seduces Bond. She is just yeah. good at messing with people. I love the scene where she reveals that to Bond. Yes. And to me, that is just really... It's one of my favorite scenes in a Bond film ever. I really like her as a character... On the whole, I really like her as a victim, a victim, a villain, and well, I guess both. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think that's a fun storyline. It's just great. I love at the end, she's getting ready to kill Bond. Of course, Bond gets out of it. They run around and basically there is a stolen Russian submarine that has nukes on it and they're going to do some naughty stuff with it. Bond is like, tell them to, you know, give up. Tell them to come out of the sub and give up. And Robert Carlyle's on the sub, and they're in this lighthouse, I think. And he's holding out a radio for Sophie to, you know, call off her boyfriend, basically. And she's like, what are you going to do? Kill me? You can't do it. You love me. And he's like, call it off. And she takes the radio, and you think she's going to call it off, but then at the last second she goes, dive, dive! And James Bond just, Bam! Shoots her right in the face. <laughs> and I love that because, yeah, I'm sure he didn't want to kill her, but he's like, you know, you got to call this off, you crazy bitch, mm -hmm. or I will shoot you. And she's like, yeah, but I'm sexy and we've made love and I'm a woman. What are you going to do? Bang. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and it just goes a long way to show James Bond's character. And I like that. It, this is a really good movie. It has to deal with oil, manipulation of the pipelines. There's this whole big plan to detonate a nuke in the Balklands, I think, and basically mess up everybody's oil reserves for, you know, a couple thousand years, except for hers. So, you know, it's in that respect, it's kind of like Goldfinger, where they're just, they're willing to kill lots and lots of people so they can get more money. 
In this, you have Dr. Christmas Jones. Oh, God. Who, honestly, to me, she is a throwaway character. Yeah. I really just don't like her character at all. She is... I don't have a problem with Denise Richards. I just don't like this character. No, I don't, but she she's not believable as... I think she's like an atomic physicist or something like that. And I'm sorry, but when I look at Denise Richards, I do not think atomic physicist. Well, I mean... That's not really fair. Uh, you can't say that not even the woman is beautiful. That she not can't. even when it comes just to her looks, just the way she acts in no, this. That's true. That's true. I mean, she is just horrible. If Sophie is one of my favorite Bond girls of all time, Denise is one of my least favorite. Yeah. And you know she's a very beautiful woman too, but that's not it. It's just I don't think she's a good actor, and I don't like her character. And I remember. Has one of the best endings ever, where, of course, in typical fashion, James Bond gets the girl at the end. So, you know, him and Christmas Jones are making love on the balcony of some place. And James Bond has the awesome line of, and I thought Christmas only came once a year. <laughs> and I remember... Have you noticed that whenever you do a, John, a a Bond impression, it's always Sean Connery? Well, yeah, and that's Bond my default you. Bond. <laughs> it doesn't matter who played Bond, I'm doing it as Sean Connery. But uh, <laughs> I remember when I saw this in the theater, when it originally came out in 99, there was a guy sitting next to me with his wife or something. And uh, they said that line, and he was like, oh, we didn't need that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's telling. I don't know. Did his wife go, oh, me too? <laughs> Anyways, I really do like this one. It's not as good for me as Goldeneye, but it's close. It was definitely better than the last Bond movie, so this was another upswing. You know, they started off strong, they had a bit of a dip, and then they went back. So I was like, okay, it's clear. You know, everybody can make them boo-boo every once in a while. But Pierce Brosnan's going to be awesome in all these movies. Yeah. I don't know how accurate that assessment was. But as for this movie, Jamie and I both give it a 5 out of 5. And then we go to the next movie. Die Another Day from 2002. And this would be the last Bond movie for Pierce Brosnan. And the last Bond movie... For a long time. Well, I mean, not that long. It is from 2002. And Casino Royale came out in 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but it, this is the one that... Oh my god, Daniel Craig has been doing it that long? Yeah. Wow. This is the one that killed the franchise for a while. And for good reason. This is one of my least favorite Bond movies because it is so, so stupid. Yeah, we have here Halle Berry as Jinx Johnson, who basically recreates that famous Ursula Andress mm -hmm. scene. And looks good doing it. <laughs> yeah, she's cute. Uh, Rosamund Pike as Miranda Frost. She's cute, too. Their names have gotten so boring. Yeah. Toby Stevens as Gustav Graves. Rick Yoon as Zhao. Judy Dench again as M. Now we have John Cleese as Q. Yeah, uh, the last movie was, I think, the last time he would play... I just said his name. Um, you know, the old guy. Yeah, he would be Q. And even in that one, they kind of introduced John Cleese mm -hmm. as his replacement. 
This one also has Michael Madsen as Damien Falco. And the song is one of Brian's favorites. Actually, this is Brian's favorite song. Yeah, bullshit. It is Die Another Day by Madonna. It's garbage. It is probably... (laughs) Maybe that's why I don't like this movie so much, because I think that is the worst James Bond theme song of all time. I actually don't hate it. I do. Here, uh, this is a... (laughs) <laughs> James Bond's in North Korea trying to stop a weapons deal. Uh, in doing so, he blows up a bomb that has all these diamonds going into one North Korean. Uh, he's like a colonel or something. It goes into his face and that becomes his thing. Like, James Bond villains always, not always, but a lot of times have like a physical defect or a certain look, you know. The original Blofeld had one eye, you know, Mm -hmm. Dr. No had his metal hands. Mm -hmm. They're always scarred or like Jaws had his teeth. This guy, he walks around with diamonds in his face. Yeah, from the time James Bond blows up a bomb until years later, he can't get the diamonds removed. Or he just decides not to, which is just dumb. So he's walking around with like, you know, million dollar acne, as they call it. Worse than that is he is just a henchman of the real villain, this North Korean general who is actually the son of a bigger North Korean general. And, of course, he's trying to get weapons to invade the South. And James Bond, in that cold opening, kills him. But again, surprise, surprise, he's not really dead. But what is really surprising and fucking stupid is now he's a white guy. Yeah, they use some sort of gene therapy thing where the North Korean guy has now become this new English billionaire who just came out of nowhere and he has all these diamonds he's willing to sell and, you know, and he's the North Korean guy. So just that's really fucking stupid. But that I mean, yeah, but it doesn't end there. You get Halle Berry as Jinx. And she's actually okay. She's like the Bond girl for this movie. But she's also a CIA, like, female James Bond. She's like the CIA's version of Bond. In fact, they were planning to have a Jinx spinoff when they were making this movie. They thought, you know... Catwoman happened? Well, no. This movie happened. This movie bombed. (laughs) And, you know, yeah, maybe we should just stop with the (laughs) Jinx idea. A lot of people don't like Halle Berry as Jinx in it. Like, they just don't, they don't like the character. They don't like the actress. They don't like anything about it. I actually think she's fine. I think she's okay. I don't think she's great. But as far as looks, she looks great. As far as acting, eh, I mean... I mean, it's Halle Berry. She can act. Well, yeah, you know? she won an Academy Award, but she can also phone shit in like a motherfucker. I mean, you just mentioned Catwoman. Yeah. So here she's just, she's eye candy and really nothing else. There's also other stupid stuff where James Bond has an invisible car now because why not? There is a thing where the bad guys are using a satellite solar laser to try to kill him. And he gets away, but it melts a part of a glacier. So James Bond has to do some paragliding on the tsunami that happens when the glacier falls into it the ocean. so bad. And it's blatant uh. CGI. I mean, all the other Bond uh, stunts from years ago, they could be over the top, but they were always done. They were always practical. I mean, one of my favorite stunts is that whole car flip thing. Mm-hmm. 
And they actually did that. So that can give you some respect for it. It's like, holy shit, they did that. Yeah, you, in this, you've got Bond obviously green screened yes. in front of this. And it it is it's so obvious. It looks like you went to the mall and there was this kiosk at the mall that would allow you to look like you're parasailing or something. And then, you know, you could take a photo of it. That's how bad it is. It's bad. But uh, anyways, there's a neat thing with an ice castle. I hate the invisible car. I don't like the British guy pretending that he's North Korean. I don't like the other guy who has diamonds still in his face from like six years ago. I do like that it starts off where once James Bond's in North Korea and he kills that guy, supposedly, he's captured and he does spend like three or four years being a prisoner and they're torturing him. And I figured they could do something cool with that because that would suck. You would have a lot of scars, both mentally and physically, if you were just tortured for shit mm -hmm. for years. But no, it's like he gets out, they kind of go, you okay, Bond? Yeah, I'm okay. Never brought up again. And that was just wasted. This whole movie is just kind of a waste. It's just, it is my lowest rated of all the Bond films, so that should tell you something. You give it a 3.5, and I only give it a 3. Yeah. So, I also feel like Rosamund Pike is wasted here. She is. You know? I do like her character a little bit. She's a fencing champion, and they actually do something with that at the end. This is, of all the Bond movies, this is my least favorite. And it's sad that this would be the last Pierce Brosnan film. I don't know if this is the reason for it being the last one or what. Or just... By this time, he was all out of fucks to give about the role. But uh, this would be the last, and it would be the last Bond movie for at least four years. Yeah, and next is when we get into James Bourne. I, yeah. I mean... <laughs> yes, this is Casino Royale from 2006. And while I do really like this movie, it borrows a lot from the Jason Bourne stuff that was going on at the time. In fact... It was a thing where people were calling this character James Bourne. Well, because it was a, it was so blatant. He's doing it, parkour in this movie. It looked nothing like previous Bond films. When did James Bond ever do parkour? <laughs> but now he is. And just all the fight scenes are extreme close up and shaky cam. And that never was a thing for Bond. No. But I do like this movie a lot. Yeah. Uh, we ha I love, love so much the beginning of this movie. Well, is it the direct beginning? Anyway, where they're at, the well, it's pretty much the whole movie where they're at the, the, uh, really exclusive casino, casino game or yeah, cause it kind of in the a whole title movie, but, <laughs> but just the, where they have to get out and then the stuff that they do to, to get out. And I don't know. I just, I, I really love it. Also, we have Ava Green as Vesper Lynn. And her character, okay, I, I see Brian looking at me. Yes, yeah, she's making baby cat face through this whole thing. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to say that. Her character. Explain to them what baby cat face is. Well, we, one of our cats is baby cat. Well, her name is Bast, but she always just gets called baby cat. That's, you know, that's probably what she thinks her name is. Yeah. And she, <laughs> she's solid black super cute but when she's 
pissed off about something, she just goes, like, she just has this angry face, and we call it baby cat face. Well, Ava Green, and everything she has ever done at some point makes baby cat face. And we always point it out and laugh at it because it's just funny. But she always has just has this look. But uh, her character, uh, Vesper, will... I mean, she actually is still meaningful all the way up to the latest film. Yes. Like, her her character is there to stay. Well, well, because... Her, it, the, at least the legacy of her character. In this run of Bond films, she's essentially the Tracy character. Yeah. She is the one woman James Bond was going to give everything up for. And he was going to quit being an agent. And this is when he just became an agent. This is kind of like a reboot. Where yeah, because Casino Royale was the first book. Yeah, but it, more so... This takes, this shows James Bond becoming 007. So this is very early in his career, and yet he's willing to give it all away to settle down with Vesper. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Yeah, we have our first appearance of Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter. Yeah, they brought him back. Who would then go on to own that role through the current ones. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen plays Le Chiffre... Le Chief. Le Chief, okay. And he's awesome. But I think just Mads and Mickelson is awesome, so. Uh, Katerina Marino as Solange. And then, of course, we have Judy Dench still as M. Yeah, I like that they kept her. And the song. The song is You Know My Name by Chris Cornell. And I really like this song. This is one of my favorite songs. You know, I just mentioned the Madonna one was complete trash. This one I really like. Yeah. Honestly, I really, really, really like this movie. Well, I guess I, I pretty much love it. I just wish they had not done the Jason Bourne stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't kill it. Like, it doesn't make me hate it. But it doesn't feel like a Bond well, no. movie. And that's... I really like the Jason Bourne movies, too. We'll yeah. be getting to them soon. But... Jason Bourne should stay Jason Bourne, and James Bond needs to be James Bond. Yeah, if they're too close, then they don't have their distinct yes. personality. Now they did do a good job of this is a very, this is a very gruff, gritty, hard-edged James Bond. And I don't know if I mentioned or not, this was the first Bond with Daniel Craig as Bond. And I remember when he got the role, people were all upset that oh my God, he's blonde. And yeah. <laughs> oh my God, he has blue eyes. And James Bond is supposed to have dark hair and dark eyes. And oh, it, who cares? I, he, I think he did a really good job as James Bond. I don't universally love all his movies, but it has nothing to do with him as James Bond. No, I really like Daniel Craig as James Bond. And I'm kind of sad that we just saw his last one. But he's been threatening to leave the series for yeah. years. But uh, I was actually kind of surprised... We got this last one out of him, but I really like him. I think that he uh, has, like, just the right amount of swagger, but he's also believable as an ass kicker. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them, like, even if you go back to Sean Connery, in reality, I would never see Sean Connery on the street dressed like James Bond and think, oh, he's dangerous. Like, he's going to whip somebody's ass. He just seems too gentlemanly to do that. Daniel Craig has a has a roughness about his character that a bit of a thugginess. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, I think it's 
believable and in fact, that he would a lot of scrap. times during these movies, they call him a thug. You know, he's... Uh, once again, James Bond is a killer. You know, he goes out to kill people for the government. And so a lot of people bring... You know, you're just a killer. That's all you're there for. You're a trigger puller. That's it. You're a gun for hire. And obviously there's more to him than that, but a lot of people, that's how they classify him as just some murderous thug. And I like that he can portray that. Yeah, he can be kind of suave and debonair, and he can be funny, and I guess he can be sexy, although he's not my type. He does look good in swim trunks. Yeah, he does. He's all glistening. I don't know. I don't know. I really like his character. I'm not too crazy about the Jason Bourne aspects either, but I don't hate him either. They're, it's just they were a product of their time. Yeah. This is mid-2000s. That's what movies looked like. And That's just all there is to it. As the movies continue to go, they do get away with that. Get away from that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I made a point uh, of, and we'll get, you know, we'll talk about it more when we get there, but in the most recent film, it is far removed from yeah. that. And I kind of breathed a sigh of relief when, when, when we were watching it because I'm like, oh, thank God. Because now I'll actually be able to see what's going on again. Because the thing is, the, what bothers me about those is that when you've got a lot of action going on, and this is a James Bond film, there is a lot of action. But when they do the thing where they're, they do a lot of quick cuts and what we used to refer to as MTV editing, mm -hmm. then it makes it very difficult to see where everyone is at any given time and exactly what's going on. And it's frustrating. And in the Jason Bourne movies, which I, I do really like the Bourne films, it's Matt Damon's portrayal of the character that kind of gets over that. Like it pulls me through it because I really enjoy his character. So, and the story, so I can, can kind of overlook that stuff. Um, well, I also with, give... It was jarring with Bond, though. I give... It was never like that. the uh, Bourne movies a little bit of slack, because really, they were some of the first movies to do that. Yeah. They pioneered that they type of action. They kind of that, and, and you know, cool. while I prefer my action scenes shot in a different way, I can go, okay, that was your thing. You tried to do this, and obviously it had some success because then everybody in the fucking world was trying to rip it off. But, you know, I give that to the filmmakers. That is your thing. It just doesn't feel right to have James Bond kind of no, doing the same thing. No, not at all, because it's never been like that before. You know what I love are the John Wick films. Yes. And it's because they're directed by a stuntman who wants to highlight yes. the stunts. He's not trying to hide the stunts. He knows how hard they work to pull them off. Why the fuck would you want to hide them? So that, I think, is really good. But you want to be 100% honest? You want to film an action film and have me love it completely? Watch Dirty Harry. Yeah. And then make your movie look like that. Because like nice, wide-angle, still shot, like... Backed up shots where you can see everything that's happening. You know how I'll give a lot of credit to. And he has a lot of <laughs> foibles that people make fun of. And for good reason, especially his love of slow motion. But Zack Snyder can film a pretty good action scene. Oh, he can. Yeah, I thought you were actually going to say... Michael Bay? Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> he can do a good job, too, to be to all credit. I think Michael Bay... I don't actually... I can't actually recall a bunch of... Or any 
one-on-one people versus people scenes from a Michael Bay movie that stick out. But he's really good at... Well, Explosions. And, you know, the, meme, <laughs> the meme exists, and I guess it's for a reason, but... Or, you know, big, like, ships sinking and, yeah. and things blowing up. And, like, he's really good at stuff like that, but... But watch Zack Snyder, what he did in Watchmen. Yeah. He brought the camera back, he locked it down, and just had the fight scenes happen. And that's, and that's yeah, how you film them. Yeah. I mean, you don't need the camera up their goddamn nose or, you know, or a million and one cuts every three seconds to hide the fact that these people don't know how to fight. Even though there was a bit more editing in Dawn of the Dead, I still think that it's you can still very clearly see the action that's going on in that film. So Zack Snyder is a person who... I think he knows what he's doing. And yes. you're, you did you did already say that he has a love of slow motion. And sometimes it is needless ridiculous. slow motion. <laughs> I mean, it is just it's like, is this a joke? Like, <laughs> are you punking me right now, Zack Snyder, with all of this slow motion? But, you know, it has become a meme in and of itself. But, you know, he does know what he's doing. Last thing I'll say about this movie, I think Mads Mikkelsen is awesome as the bad guy. This is a very simple story. Mads is like a banker for all these bad guys. They give him his money and he does stuff with it. But unfortunately, what he did is he tried to do some stock market manipulation to make a whole bunch of money for himself. And that failed. So now he owes money to a lot of really bad people. So he enters this high-stakes card game at this casino to win money. And essentially, they send James Bond specifically to spoil it for him. They send him to win the game, hoping that they can make Mads broke, and then the government, the UK government's going to walk up and go, hey, we'll protect you if you give us all this information on all the people you work with. If not, we'll just let you go, and guess what? They're going to kill you, because you don't have their money anymore. So that's the story. I mean, no globe trotting, no, you know, everybody's going to die type of scenario. It's just one bad dude in a bad situation and how James Bond is trying to capitalize on that situation. Yeah. And then this awesome scene where he gets poisoned. And, yes. And he's trying, to, he's trying to get to his car and he can't, like, it kind of reminds me of um, Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> A little, he's so, yeah. Or he's so fucked up, he can't get to the car. But anyway, that's kind of funny, and that's that. And I love how I, I he love comes that whole contained story. And I love how he comes back from it. Mads just poisoned James Bond. James Bond goes staggering away. Mads is all smiling and happy, and he, he, he yeah. And then James Bond comes back, <laughs> and just to look on Mads' face, he's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and he's like, "What? You didn't think I was coming back?" <laughs> But yeah, this is a great one. It's gritty, tough-ass Bond. Uh, you got Judy Dench again. I think she's just... I think she's even better here than she was in the Brosnan movies. I mean, she's well, yeah, a, she's come into her own. She's like, even you know. tougher and more of a ball-breaker here. Well, she's older. Yeah. She, and she looks like... She just has this look of steel that she can put on that is just hard-nosed. And... At this point, she has been this character so many times, she's made it yeah. her own, you know? And then Eva Green, she is really good here. Yeah, First I always off, like her. She is gorgeous, but more than that, 
She just plays a very good character. Mm -hmm. She is very much Bond's equal in many ways. But she's also very sad and tragic. There's this whole backstory. And at the end of the movie, she dies. And God, that scene. Yeah. Oh. Oh, God. So. Like, when I first saw it, I knew he was going to save her. I just knew it. I'm like, he's. Because that's what James Bond does. You know? He always saves the girl. Except for this time, he doesn't. And she ends up haunting him yeah. for... For all the rest of the movies. Yeah. So this is a great Bond movie. It's a great way for Daniel Craig to kick off his stint as Bond. And it's a good way that... This was the much more grounded Bond. There was no gadgets. There was no sci-fi silliness. This was very, very real. Very well, serious. This is stuff that could happen. Just spies with each other to try to get a leg up on someone. Well, again, this was the mid-2000s, post-9-11. Yeah. Uh, everything had gone... Uh, well, we know, as horror fans, that horror had gone very mean-spirited and nihilistic by this time. Yeah. But other film genres had as well. You know, just if you took this same story and gave it to Sean Connery or Roger Moore... Vesper, they would have played a different. Yeah, and Vesper would have survived. Yeah, yeah, you know, true. They wouldn't have done something that nasty. Now they did with Tracy, but that was a that was a totally different situation. But yeah, that was the story. This was very reflective of filmmaking at the time, and how just across the board things had gotten depressing. Yeah, I don't know. But it was really, it's a really, really great film. And it's not a depressing film. No, no, no. <laughs> I just mean on the whole, life in general. Like, yeah. we were in a very... Oh, bad place, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, it was dark, you know. But uh, as for this film, we both love it. We both give it a five out of five. We then jump ahead to 2008, and this is Quantum of Solace. And I gotta say that it's kind of a stupid name. Now, I had uh, mentioned before that Spectre was an issue with Bond. There was this whole big lawsuit, and it was still going on. Because that's where this whole quantum nonsense comes from. Quantum is basically Spectre. But they couldn't use the name Spectre, so they came up with Quantum. Some multinational, bunch of rich, powerful, influential people. People who had connections to the intelligence world they decided one day to say fuck it we're gonna go off and do our own thing and we're gonna start doing crime and blackmail and terrorism and just you know basically again it's specter but they couldn't use specter so you get quantum yeah and we have notably matthew amalric as dominic green <laughs> Gemma arterton as strawberry fields not very <laughs> creative with the names there. Olga Korolenko as Camille. Judy Dench again as M. Jeffrey Wright returning as Felix Leiter. David Harbour is here, and I don't think I I don't think I knew that. Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I was trying to think of who he is in this movie. Uh, and Greg I can remember Beam. him. He's one of the CIA guys who's not friends of Bond. He's actually kind of working against him a little bit. Not like an enemy, but kind of like a frenemy, I, I guess. I never realized that he was in it. Yep. Um, okay, the soundtrack is another, I mean, the song is Another Way to Die by Jack White and Alicia Keys. And it's an okay song. Now, this is not a good movie, I don't think. Once I think that's 
a lot of people think that, don't they? Wasn't yeah. this kind of panned? Once again, it's kind of the famous sophomore slump where his second time out is nowhere as good as his first time. I do like the fact that starting with this movie and continuing with the rest of them, they really... They, all the Bond movies in this series and the Daniel Craig series, they're all connected. They're all connected to the previous films. Like, what happened before will get mentioned here, and then this movie will take off. Like, this movie starts off with James Bond just killing fools looking for this Mr. White. Because he was the guy who was in charge of all the stuff that happened, including the death of Vesper Lynn from Casino Royale. So this movie is just Bond going off on a vengeance, you know, kick. Where's Mr. White? Show me Mr. White. And he's just killing fools. Eventually, the story goes beyond that. There's this whole idea of this quantum organization, and they're trying to buy up water rights, which, hell, is a very real thing. Just ask Nestle. And, uh... How they're screwing over countries to do it and all that. Again, ask Nestle. Ask Nestle. <laughs> but uh, it's not all that thrilling. It definitely, for as good as the Casino Royale was, this was a huge step back. Is this the one where he gets tortured? Uh, well, no, like that was the, Casino Royale where he's getting his nuts it? whipped. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. He is out to find these quantum people because he realizes this Mr. White is part of quantum. And he's looking into them, and he begins to uncover their specter-like tendrils everywhere. And that's about it, really. I mean, Is he mighty tidy whitey? Uh, Is he smuggling plums? No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know why you'd bring that in here. I don't know. Because <laughs> it was Mr. White. It made me think of it. Okay. <laughs> that's from Mope from the Bloodhound Gang, in case you can't. Recognize it. Anyways, it's just, it's okay. I don't hate this movie, but I don't love it. I think uh, Daniel does a good job as Bond again, but just I think the story itself is a bit lackluster. And I don't like, the, I never liked Quantum. And then I'm glad that in a few movies to come, they'll just get rid of that stupid bullshit. I think it's the next movie. Yeah, um... Well, no, oh, not no, technically. No, no. Okay. It's the next one after that. But anyways, uh, this is I one of those also rans for me when it comes to James Bond. It's a decent enough watch, but it doesn't really wow me. Jamie gives it a 4 out of 5, and I go with a 3.5 out of 5. But after this, we go to another upswing. It seems to follow a pattern. It's almost like the Trek films. With yeah, exactly. The whole odd and even ones. Because, yeah, next is... Skyfall from 2012, and I thought this was uh, a lot better. This was directed by Sam Mendes. Yes, who did the excellent... 1917? Very good. And... Uh, I don't suck. No, you don't. <laughs> you want to give them all the deets? Uh, yeah, Javier Bardem is here as Silva. I love me some Javier Bardem. And he does I a good do. job here. He's not used all that much. I wish we had more of him. Yeah. But I think he's really good. Naomi Harris as Eve. Judy Dench again as M. Ray Fiennes as Garrett Mallory. Berenice Marlowe as Severine. Albert Finney as Kincaid. Wonder if he was pulling a lot of tail. That was a joke because Albert Finney's always pulling tail. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, the introduction of. What? 
Nothing. Of Ben Wishaw as the new Q. Yeah, when I think of players, I think of Albert Finney. Well, it, that's true, though. Any movie he's in, he's always like... I think that's in his contract. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we have a new Q in this one. This is a young... I don't know well, how you'd refer to him, but... This movie has a lot of new introductions. Basically, this is another very personal story. It's James Bond versus another rogue uh, agent. I don't think he was a double O, but he was a British agent. And he worked with M, Judy Dench, Silva. And she basically sold him out. And he got caught and she never did anything to release him. So he was tortured for years and years and years and blah, blah, blah. And he blames all this on her. And to her credit, she's like, you were one man. I was dealing with hundreds. You know, if I tried to get you out, that would have started a war. I'm not going to war for one man. But he's like, you know, we were friends. You betrayed me. I did everything you wanted me to do. And then you sold me out. Which is the life of an agent. Yeah, but I can understand him feeling that Well, of course. Uh, Incidentally, the Skyfall song is portrayed, uh, portrayed, performed by Adele. And I think it's awesome. That's another song I really like. Well, she can fucking sing. Oh, yeah. But anyways, here, it's this guy, Silva. He's basically wants revenge on M. So he's doing all this high-tech hacking and stuff and just messing with them. So James Bond has to go try to stop this guy before he just... Well, first, before he kills M, but before, but also stop him from hurting anyone else because in true bad guy fashion, he doesn't care who he has to kill to get what he wants. It's always a cat and mouse game between the two. And then you got M on the sidelines. She's very much tied to the story, and there's that's a good reason, because she actually dies in this movie. Oh, God, it's tragic. Again, and, you think when you're first watching the movie, there's no way that he's going to let her die. I mean, he doesn't let her die, but there's no way that they're going to yeah. kill off M. Like, it's not going to happen, but it does. And that's why with the, with the Daniel Craig Bonds... They are nasty. Like, yeah. they're fucking mean. You know? <laughs> like, even up until the, the most latest film, there are people dying left and right. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Well, they also yeah. did a good job of rebooting the series. It yeah. was an honest reboot. Yeah. A lot of movies use that name, but they, I don't think they get what it means. Here, they did start all over from scratch. And so you have a new Bond. And I mean that literally. He is a new 007 agent. Yeah, this new criminal organization of Quantum. And while you still have the old M, they write her out in this movie, get a brand new M, that's Ralph Fiennes, or Rafe Fiennes, I guess you should say. And I always like him. He's excellent in anything he does. But this also introduces a new Q and a new Money Penny. And I like how they do it because when they first introduce the character you don't know her name you don't know what she's doing and it's only at the end when it's like oh by the way i'm my you know my last name's money penny and you're like ah i see what you did there okay so yeah this is a very cool bond film you get to see a lot of the bond history not only in regards to the film but the actual character as skyfall is the name of the bond ancestral home and the last part of the movie actually takes place there i think sam mendez directed the hell out of this movie 
And I like, once again, I like everybody they brought into it. From uh, Ralph Fiennes, or I always say that. from Rafe Fiennes. Rafe Fiennes to uh, Javier Bardem as the bad guy. I really like it. In fact, so does Jamie. We both gave it a five out of five. And now we're going to come to the last one we're going to talk about because the last James Bond movie we don't own. It's not part of the collection. Yeah, but we may as well at least talk about it since we watched it and Uh. close out the Bond. And you don't know that. What do you mean you don't know that? You don't know that we don't own it. I didn't know it was on disc yet. Okay. Well, then, next we come to Spectre from 2015. Yes, James Bond finally got the rights to use Spectre again. So what they did is they basically still had Quantum because they used it, so they're not just going to totally disregard it. But they made that as a splinter of Spectre. In other words... There is Quantum, and they were doing their horrible, nasty, bad guy stuff. But actually, Spectre was in the shadows, pulling the strings, and nobody knew it. So again, you get Spectre returning to the big bad of the movie. And you also get to the introduction of this series, Blofeld. That's right. And it is Christoph Waltz. And he is awesome. Even if... Honestly, I don't think his portrayal of Blofeld was all that great. Or honestly, I just don't think he was used all that well, to be perfectly yeah. honest. But Christoph Waltz is amazing. Yeah, I, I love that guy. I don't think I even knew who he was before Inglorious Bastard. Well, no, neither did I. But and that would... since then, he's kind of blown up. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's incredible. I just love him as an actor. Mm-hmm. But uh, we also have Lea Seydoux as Madeline. Rafe Fines again as M. Monica Bellucci, and she's so fucking gorgeous. I think Monica she... Bellucci is seriously one of the most yeah. beautiful women that has ever walked this planet. Uh, ben Wishaw again as Q. Naomi Harris again as Money Penny, and this time she's credited as Money Penny. In the previous film, they just credited her as Eve. Because you didn't know that yet. Yeah, not until the final scene does she say my last name or whatever. I'm Miss Moneypenny. Then we have Dave Bautista as Hinks. And I gotta say, I always like Dave Bautista and whatever I've seen him in. Yeah. Now, granted, I haven't seen him in any, everything, but I thought he was good in the Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought he was good in the Blade Runner movie. Uh, twenty was a new one called 2047, mm-hmm. I think. Or 2049, I don't remember. Whatever. The second Blade Runner movie, I thought he was really good in that. And I really like him here. Is he, he just always comes off like a really, like he'd be a nice guy yeah. in person. you know. Uh, but he's a big, huge dude, and he's, you know, a typical henchman in this movie. He's just a big, beat-you-up kind of guy, but he does it well, I guess. Again, directed by Sam Mendes. And the song is Writings on the Wall by Sam Smith. Uh, I don't really recall that song all that well to be honest the openings of these of the daniel craig bond films just don't leave an impression on me as much as the older ones did they've kind of gotten away from the things that they did with like the connery and Moore openings yeah and they just don't stick out to me 
Well, even the posters, I'm looking at the poster for Spectre right here. And it's just James Bond standing there with a gun in his hand. Yeah, with a gray background. Yeah, that's it. Ooh, exciting. And the old Bond posters were badass. I always had, you know, bang, poo, pow, and shit <laughs> happening. and Poo! <laughs> <laughs> and explosions and people on motorcycles. Well, you know that classic and... James Bond stance with the gun where he's like, ha! Mm-hmm. You know, they always had that mm-hmm. and then girls hanging all over and... This is just, you know, Daniel Craig standing there. He's wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> he's just, yep. He's dressed like a cat burglar with a gray background. <laughs> As for the movie, yes, this is the big Spectre reveal. Uh, and that's it was pretty... also the first Bond movie you and I saw together in the theater. Yes, it was. Hey, look at that. <laughs> so I guess it's special in that regard. <laughs> it's an okay movie. My biggest problem with it is a major plot point, And that is... Now... For whatever the fucking reason, Blofeld and James Bond are like brothers. Not real brothers, not brothers in blood, but Blofeld's family kind of took James Bond in when James Bond's parents died in, I think, a climbing accident. So he was raised by this wealthy aristocrat family, and Blofeld was the legitimate son of that family, and he always felt slighted by Bond. Like, yeah, you came in, and my daddy ended up loving you more than me, and wham. So then Blofeld committed his life to ruining James Bond's life. And like everything that ever went wrong for James Bond, Blofeld was behind it. And he actually says that in the movie, you know, remember when this happened? I did that. Remember when this happened? I did that. Yet somehow he never recognized him before. Well, no, he never met him. This was always, you know, Blofeld doing stuff behind the scenes. He only just meets him in this movie. But just, it's the idea that, no, bad stuff can happen to this guy. I mean, he deals in life and death on a daily basis. He is always going around shooting people and getting shot at and just, you know, living the life of a spy has got to be hard, especially when you're this kind of spy who just kills people. And yet Blofeld's like, mwahaha, everything that's ever befallen you has been at my command. And it's like, really? You're going to devote that much time that much effort, that much money, you're going to build this huge criminal organization that runs other criminal organizations from behind the scenes, and everything is just because your daddy liked James more than you. That is so lame. Yeah, and I I expect that they wanted it to come off as like an, oh my god, you know, like Darth Vader yeah skywalker's father or something but uh when we saw it in the theater brian just immediately was like Urf. like <laughs> I, and and you said at the time that it was cheap yeah you know i mean it was basically a cheap ploy and it's one of those things where like when you're watching a movie you're like don't do it don't do it don't go there don't <laughs> well god damn it it very much is a cheap way of trying to infuse emotion or personal stakes into it. But no, Blofeld is a bad enough bad guy on his own. As just, he is the head of Spectre. 
This is an organization that says fuck you to every nation in the world. That's how bad Blofeld is. He doesn't also need to be your half-brother, twice-removed, once-cousin, roommate <laughs> bullshit. I mean, seriously, that's right out of, you know, uh, Spaceballs. I mean, that's just stupid. I cannot believe that he legitimately went with that as his motivation. Boo! My daddy didn't love me, and it's your fault! So I'm going to devote my life to ruining yours! <laughs> Fuck off! Well, I can see on paper how it would look good. And honestly, when we're watching the film, it didn't bother me. Uh, but I know a lot of people didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't. But, other than that, Christoph Waltz is good here as Bolofeld. It's a bit tainted with that whole brother reveal. But he's okay. Uh, Monica Bellucci, of course, is amazing. Daniel Craig does another good, you know, turn as James Bond. It's just, this movie is kind of forgettable for me. It's very much uh, another also ran. It's like, yep, that's a James Bond movie, and that's about all I can say about it. But it doesn't mean it's bad. It means that you and I both gave it a four out of five. All right, well, next we have the most recent Bond film, as in I'm talking real reason, re reason, I'm talking real recent in that you can still see this film in the theaters. Yes. So are we going to be careful with spoilers or? I guess we should. Uh, again, this is Daniel Craig, and this should be the last Bond film with Daniel Craig. We have Ana de Armas as Paloma. Rami Malek as the bad guy. His name is literally Lucifer. Yeah, it's but it's just, it's so, did you see the way it was spelled? Yeah. It's L-Y-U-T-S-I-F-E-R. And I'm like, so it's like Lucifer Safin? Yeah, yeah and they only say his name like Lucifer once because I think it's so ridiculously stupid. Um, <laughs> for most of the movie, they just call him Safran. Leia Sedu back as Madeline. We have the introduction of the female 007, which is Lashana Lynch as Nomi. Ray Fiennes is back as M. Ben Wishaw is back with us as Q. Naomi Harris as Money Penny, and then of course Felix Leiter, Jeffrey Wright, played by Jeffrey Wright for the final time. Yeah, uh, without giving too much spoilers, this movie is the end of the Daniel Craig Bond series. Period. I don't think they can come back from this. So they do wrap up a lot of loose ends and they do put paid to a lot of lingering characters and questions. Mm -hmm. um, the song is No Time to Die by Billie Eilish. And I really didn't like it. It was okay. It was it was very Billie Eilish. Yeah. Like I, I don't think this started, I didn't even know she was doing the music for this movie. But I don't think I'm a fan of hers. Yeah. <laughs> you probably aren't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyways james bond he's actually retired during this film and he's been retired for like five years i think it is or yeah. six no, or something and so all of mi6 pretty much think he died because he's been living off the grid under radar he hasn't contacted anyone or done anything like he just existing yeah and uh i thought this was a okay bond film but not great. 
like I said, it's going to be Daniel Craig's last Bond film. He made it widely known. In fact, he was never supposed to do this one at all, but I guess they paid him a ton of money, so he said, okay, fine, one more. I think that they really, really wanted to tie up yeah, uh, wrap it all up. All of these loose ends, you know, and finally give him some closure to the Ava Green character. Finally uh, solidify what was going on with Madeline. Um, they also introduced a new character that involves the two of them. I gotta say, I'm gonna speak in generalities because this is brand new. I mean, it's literally from this year. So if you like Bond, you should see it. Well, I will say this real quick. In the very beginning... Madeline makes a statement, and he responds with, Oh, no, don't worry about it. We have all the time in the world. And mm-hmm. I immediately started crying. <laughs> and she's crying now. <laughs> because that was obviously yes, very much on purpose. And um, one, it hit me in the feels because just of what it refers to, but also what you know something bad is coming because of that. And also just the fact that they nodded back to such an old bond. Mm-hmm. It, that meant a lot. So they I, yeah, actually, I just immediately started crying. They actually brought the song back for yeah, the end credits. And oh my God, I was bawling my <laughs> face off at the end of that movie. Oh, which by the way, I did get a message from Derek as well. Derek B. was like, damn you. Because <laughs> I guess when I was talking about On Her Majesty's Secret Service, I brought up some feels. Basically, I made him cry on the train, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, sorry. I didn't mean to. But you know how I get. Derek, you've been around a long time. You know I get emotional. But yeah, the end of this movie, I will say, without saying what happens, because I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say I was bawling my face off because they were playing that song. Here's one problem I had with this film. And speaking in generalities, the end of this movie, they tried to go for this emotional payoff. And I guess it worked for you. That's great. For me, it totally didn't. Because this emotional payoff was between three different people. And two out of three are hardly in the movie at all. Or, at the very least, nothing's done with them. So I did not give a fuck about these characters. I didn't know these characters. I didn't care about these characters. So when you're supposed to have this big dun-dun-dun scene at the end, I was like, meh. No, I'm there with you. I don't feel like the payoff suited the buildup. But the reason that I got so emotional was solely because of what they were referencing and how they were kind of bringing it full circle in a way. You'll have to see the movie, damn it, but they were bringing it full circle. Well, it does end with the same line, we have all the time in the world. Yeah, and that... Settle down. (laughs) You just can't say that anymore without making me cry. I don't know what. (laughs) Never say that to me. Okay. Never, ever, ever say that to me because then I'll think you're going to (laughs) die. But, uh... Or that I am. (laughs) Somebody's going to die. Another huge misstep for me was Remy Malek. Not that I didn't think he was good here. They just didn't do anything with him. Yeah, they didn't... I feel like there was a lot of undeveloped stuff here. Yes, and this movie is two hours and 43 minutes. You had enough time (laughs) to character build. Yeah. But they didn't do it with the emotional 
thing at the end. They didn't do it with Remy Malik. It just it seemed like a lot of missed opportunities for me. Well, I do feel like there was a lot going on in this film, too. Well, there was. I mean, there's always a lot going on in Bond films, but this feels like you were being pulled in several different directions. And you kind of were because they were trying to... Wrap everything up. up. And then they were introducing some new people. And so there there was a lot going on. But, I mean, I really liked it. One thing I... And that's mainly because it did affect me emotionally. But one thing I will give it credit for is I loved the direction well, no, that I was, was good. Really impressed. Yeah. We got completely away from James Bourne, and <laughs> it felt like a James Bond film. And that I was really happy with. All in all, I would say definitely see this movie. Yeah. If you're a Bond fan, you kind of have to. Uh, do I think it's the best way they could have wrapped everything up for Daniel Craig? No. But it was good, just not great. Uh, you gave it a four out of five. And I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. It's kind of sad that they couldn't pull a 5 out of me for yeah. the last Daniel Craig movie. But, you know, it was still... I still really liked it. It still made me cry a bunch. <laughs> okay, one of the things they did in this film was introduce a new 007. And this was because he was retired. He was out of the picture. So they basically just gave that number to the next person in line. And it was a woman. Oh, my but, God. But she does this really cool thing in the movie where she asks them to give it back to him yeah. for, for the mission or whatever. And I like that. you know. And honestly, I like her. Yeah. I thought she was pretty cool. You know, mm-hmm. I I didn't have any issues. With I like how at first she's like, I'm 007 now. Me, me, I'm 007. So whenever anybody goes, you know, when they see them walking together and somebody go 007, naturally they'll both go, yes. <laughs> and then she'll like shoot him a look or something and she'll be, he, you know, or she'll say something like, they're talking to me because she is 007 because he's been retired and thought to be dead for years. But, yeah, and then know. there was a, there's a time later where they're actually talking to him and then he's just like, excuse me, they're talking to me. <laughs> so they have this little kind of playful rivalry yeah. in the in the beginning, but it, you know, doesn't last and they end up working well. But we're now moving out of Daniel Craig and we're going to need a new Bond. Do you think that they're going to stick with the current 007 that we have now and keep going with that? Or do you think they're going to pull in... Somebody all together completely new to play James Bond again. Well, here's the thing. I remember before seeing this movie, I'd mentioned it earlier. Everybody was screaming about, oh, it's a lady Bond. Oh, it's a black lady Bond. Oh, my God, the world's going to end. Here's the thing. I don't care as long as they explain it away adequately. There's always been a fan theory that James Bond was just a code name. In other words, James Bond is the name that goes with 007. And as the years go by, more and more people are 007 James Bond. That's how you explain you got Sean Connery and Roger Moore and George Lazenby and so on and so forth. Those were always other people just playing, I am now James Bond 007. But there's one thing that doesn't let that fit. Yeah, I know. Actually, two things. Tracy being yes. one. Being the hard-nosed one, but also Felix Leiter. Well, yeah, Felix, there's also uh, the ancestral home. There's always a stuff about his parents. So it's clear that's not the case. case. But if they made that the case, if they come out and said, I don't know. If you ask me, 
would you want the next 007, wait, would you want the next James Bond to be a black female? I would say no, because that's not James Bond. Make that person a different agent. But if you said, would you mind if the next 007 was a black female? I would say, sure. Why not? Because then it's not that character. It's just that code name. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. I mean, she couldn't be James Bond yes. anyway. You know, maybe she could be Jane Bond, which would just be silly. It would make me think of G.I. Jane. So I don't want them to just totally, you know, go bonkers and suddenly James Bond is a, you know, Martian, vegan, uh, <laughs> American, you know, just... That's like another thing. James Bond's never been American, not officially. It's been some minor roles uh, played by Americans. The first Casino Royale, I believe, was. But uh, James Bond should be... David Niven? Wasn't he? Well, no. Casino Royale actually had a bunch of James Bonds in it. But even before that movie, there was a made-for-TV movie based off Casino Royale. Mm. And that guy was American. I'm blanking on his name now. But yeah, the first James Bond was actually an American. And that's just stupid. James Bond should always be a British dude. And he should always be this dude because this is the character. If you want to tell different stories, different characters, make different characters for them. You don't constantly got to be, you know, tweaking the character here and suddenly, well, now they're female. Well, now they're, you know, Asian. Well, now they're gay. Well, now they're this. Well, now they're that. Keep the character as James Bond. Make somebody new if you want to make some if you want to have new characters and new actors involved. No, I agree. It. I agree with that. And honestly, I think that my issue even okay, and it's like you said, if they wanted to keep her as 007 and move on with that, you know, I honestly I liked her. So I don't have a problem with that. I what think- I would prefer is because I love James Bond, I love the character. I don't want to lose that. No, character. that's see, that's just it. I don't watch these movies because they're 007 movies. I watch these movies because they're James Bond movies. I like that character. I like James Bond. Yeah, you know who I would love, and he has been a popular choice, and it's one that I happen to agree with. Idris Elba. Uh, yes, um, I've heard that a lot. He's British. Yeah, he's. Handsome, he's swat. I mean, he can be very like gentlemanly. Like he basically embodies who James Bond is. I think he would be perfect. I do too. Again, I don't know how long he could do it because he's getting older yeah. now. But I would love to have him in the role. I would have no issue with that whatsoever. And you're right because I don't want. I don't watch them because they're 007 movies. I watch them because they're James Bond. Yes, movies. I love. James Bond. That's who I love. I love everything about him, you know. And by all means, make new characters. I want you to make new characters. I want good films with good characters. You don't constantly need to be taking pre-existing characters and let's put a new spin on them. No, those characters worked for a reason. Yeah, I even love women in action films. Well, yeah. I love them. You know, Long Kiss Goodnight is one of my favorite action movies. Ass-kicking women are sexy as hell. Yeah. Fury, Fury Road. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, there are a bunch of them. There are a bunch of them because women are great in action roles. But not in a James Bond role. No. You know, it just doesn't... It's not necessary. When you can create an entire 
new character or even take that character and spin her off if you want to. Well, yeah. I would be fine with that. I, I would watch her movies. But what I want is James Bond. Yes. And I don't really care who plays the role. I just want James Bond. Another one that I thought would have been good but won't really work now is um, Army Hammer. Oh. Isn't he British? I don't know, but I know he's a cannibal. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking he was actually, or maybe he's, maybe I watched him play a British guy. Or at least he said. wants to be a cannibal. <laughs> I don't know if he's indulged yet. But Henry Campbell is not, he's American, right? No, he's British. Okay, okay. And actually I can see I him as James him, Bond. Yeah, it's, never mind, I was thinking about Henry Cavill. Yeah, I think Henry Camp- Cavill would be really good in the role i mean we've seen him do action stuff well yeah he's in the witcher he's Um, superman he played even um what's that movie he did that that's why i was got him confused is because they did the movie together was it um uh, what was the spy movie that he did with army Hammer? oh that's right uh it was a remake of a tv show i think it was man from uncle wasn't it okay yeah but he was really good you know i really like him plus he's handsome as hell i liked him he played a bad guy in one of the Mission Impossible movies, and he did a really good job in there. I like Henry Cavill. I would, you know, I'd be happy with him as James Bond, I guess. Yeah, Army Hammer is, um, he was born in L.A. And I think his career is kind of done, at least yeah, for now. Yeah, I know, that makes me sad. Oh, don't, don't go around telling women you want to eat them, and not in a good way. <laughs> um, let's see, are there any other standout British actors that... Oh, now he's too old. But based on um, the Kingsman, ah, I think that. Uh, yeah. Oh God, that was his name. I don't know, but I fucking love him. Yeah, he was good in that. Am I drawing a blank? I love this guy. Colin Firth. Yeah. Filth. Firth. Firth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Colin Firth. I think would have been good. He's a yeah. little old now, unfortunately, but you know he would have made a good Bond. I've always liked him. He was. He was great in Pride and Prejudice, my favorite version of Pride and Prejudice. He's my Mr. Darcy. Awesome. Which also, coincidentally, Ray Fiennes is in the Kingsman movies, too, or at least the new one, I think. Is he? I think he plays the the main, or not the main guy, but the... You're, are you thinking of Mark Strong? No, I don't even know who that is. Oh, he's a famous... He, all, he usually plays bad guys. In the new one, the... The the prequel. Okay, uh, let me look that up. Anyway, my two choices, would, like leaders of the pack, would be Idris Elba and Henry Cavill. You're right. Uh, Ray Fiennes is in the new one. Yeah, I don't know who I'd pick, to be honest. I'd like to see Henry Cavill in it, because I think he could do something really cool with it. I like him as Superman, and I really like him as The Witcher, so... You know, do you remember when we were watching The Man from Uncle? And I was like, I was like, God, that guy, because <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, that guy would be the perfect Superman. <laughs> <laughs> like, he looks just like him. And Brian goes, baby, he is. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes uh, I has a dumb. Idris Elba would be great as him, too. I could see him being really suave. He's so and, smooth, yeah. you know? He's just a smooth motherfucker. I love that guy. And hell, as he said in the whole, uh... Oh, what the hell was the name of that 
Fast and Furious spinoff. He's Black Superman. <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw? That's it, Hobbs and Shaw. He was the main baddie in that, and I thought he did a good job. Oh, hey, what about Jason Statham as, as James Bond? Ooh, I don't know. Do you think he's young enough still? <clears throat> no, probably not. He's also a little rough around the edges. I mean, he's good in stuff like... It's like once you see him in something like... Why are you patting on me? <laughs> the heart movie. Oh, uh... Not speed. Crank. Yeah. Once you see him in something like Crank, it's kind of hard to picture him as like a smooth British well, guy. You know, he he's does very... Have, he has very much that thuggish British yeah. quality down. He's very... And a British friend's... I apologize if I get this wrong, but I want to say he's he's very East End, and I I think that's right. But, I don't know what that means, um, but, <laughs> but um, it's yeah. Oi, it governor! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you wanted a Cockney James Bond, <laughs> then you call then you call him. <laughs> but. He could do the action stuff. You oh know. yeah, We've easily. Seen him do that. Yeah. But he just is. Yeah, he's a little, little brash. But you know, I'd, I'd give him a shot. Yeah. I think he could. He could probably pull it off. Yeah, honestly, he's a good enough actor. I yeah. think where he could act differently. I mean, I think they put him in the roles just because he does that so well. But that doesn't mean he can't do something else. You know. Hey, Albert Finney in his day would have been good. Cause, yeah, because he he keeps pulling tail. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like James Bond. <laughs> Albert Finney's seen more ass than a toilet seat. <laughs> All right. Is there anybody else that you could think of? No. I think they'll have to come out with like a, a real surprise. Like when Daniel Craig was announced, everybody was like, oh, my God, it's going to be horrible. And he proved to be really good. At it, so, yeah, I honestly feel like what they would do is try to tap somebody that we didn't know. Yeah. I, I think they're, they would... Like, up until that point, Daniel Craig has... He'd been in movies, but he was always a character actor, always a side actor. They'll need to do that again, I think. Just take somebody who's a good actor and give him a shot. Yeah. But, you know, whoever it is, I will look forward to a new James Bond film. Oh, yeah. As I always do. Okay, is there anything else you wanted to say to wrap up... Bondathon. James Bond movies are awesome. That's it. They are. Yeah. And thank you so much, guys, for going through this with us. I hope I, you enjoyed it. Christ, just think about it. How how many there are, how long they've been going. I mean, talk about franchises. This beats the shit out of any franchise insofar as just amount of movies and longevity. Except for like Amityville. Well, no, this is before Amityville by a long shot. Oh, longevity, yes. I just meant number of movies. Well, that's because everybody like now is... I saw that there was a new... There's something called Amity Cop. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what are there, 25? Something like that. Something... Yeah. I think the new one was 26. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like we did 13 and 13. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. But I'm always here for it. And if there's a James Bond movie coming out, I'll see it. That's Me the way too. it goes. Thanks so much, guys, for sticking with us through this. If you have, if you bailed out early, you won't know what I said. Mm -hmm. But 
We appreciate you as always. And we will see you next time where it's back to normal in more ways than one. We will be back to our regular letter rotation, which will put us at L. And then we will be picking up where we left off in the B's. No more Bond movies. The first B movie we'll be coming back to is a hell of a good horror movie. So there, you have that ah, to look forward to. There you go. Okay, uh, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Don't call me names. Yeah. For visiting the House of Salmons. We hope to see you back very soon. Until then, come chat with Brian and me on our Facebook group page at Horror in the House of Salmons. And if you like what we do here and want to hear some bonus episodes, consider being a patron at patreon.com slash house of salmons. 
Special thanks to Rick Morgan for composing our theme music.